Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. We just stumble along with confusion and bylaw and government law and then the HSC recommendations. Hard to know what's right and what's wrong anymore. The front front pages of this morning have the Gardaí thrown a spanner in the works. Uh, pubs in turmoil again as Gardaí say outdoor pints could be illegal. I don't know about outdoor pints, but what about outdoor fighting? I'm constantly getting more videos now this morning from a, a Southside pub with another brawl outside the door. Um, anyway, that's for another day, maybe. Garda blow for outdoor summer. Alcohol service not allowed in new seating areas. I'll get some clarification on this throughout the morning. But the mail is saying pub and restaurant owners are left infuriated over a government oversight that means it's illegal to serve alcohol in new outdoor seating areas. All they can do um, uh, within the law and all they can do with regards to keeping the Garda happy is click and collect takeaway but not consumed outside, not consumed in any kind of makeshift kind of a gazebo or seating area that's been put together. Like this morning, the Times says, Gardee say drinking outdoors, drinking in outdoor seating areas is illegal, which is kind of a bit of a bothersome thing because councils have even put in and manufactured and installed outdoor areas in cities and indeed, I see them in suburban areas and county towns as well. Um, but the upside to all of this is a great story in the sun today where they say let the fun begin. They call it the pandemic will be followed by the fundemic with 70,000 people at big festivals. Um, yes, indeedy, because our vaccine campaign continues to be rolled out. And uh, in actual fact, they're saying this morning that over 900,000 COVID jabs are expected to be administered in the coming days. They really have ramped it up in fairness. And not just outdoor events and gigs and concerts and what have you, but also great news with regards to holidays. So regardless of what the chief medical officer is saying, Leah Varadkar says the people who are not vaccinated can still holiday abroad. You'll need a negative PCR test upon your return. Um, and that's that'll all happen, of course, from July 19th. That's when we have this digital cert but it doesn't mean that only people with digital certs can go on their holidays it'll mean all age groups and you come back and you do your PCR test and away you go so that's optimistic news it's even more optimistic for young people who will be the very last to get any kind of a jab at all and they can also go on their summer holidays even though they're not fully vaccinated according to Leo Varadkar um, despite uh, Tony Hoolan's uh, advice to the contrary so you see all of the confusion and uh, the contradictions mind you the independent this morning says that there seems to be um, hesitancy, um, relatively high hesitancy among the 18 to 34 year olds with regards to getting the jab. As a front, front page of making the Indo today, triple threat to young people who are least willing to get the vaccine. Other stories, of course, make the news. I don't know whether you connect the huge increase in fraud offences uh, in any way, shape or form with, with COVID. Maybe more people are at home and they're getting more phone calls from scam artists. But the Guardian this morning are saying in the front page of the Echo that in Cork, there's been nearly an 80% rise in fraud offences according to the um, stats released by Pulse and they go through them and they break a lot of them down actually including examples of a woman who received a text message claiming to be from her bank followed the instructions entered her bank details and 14 grand taken out of her bank account so they'll always find a gullible or indeed an innocent person as I always say if they hit 1 in 100 or 1 in 500 they're probably happy with that but again the guards remind people don't engage with callers don't return calls don't follow automated instructions don't press 1 never transfer money never give out personal information to anyone the best thing to do is just don't answer the calls or if it's any way dodgy 
Just hang up. The story from uh, Marion Park uh, down Black Rockway makes many of the papers today. The examiner and the echo right across it with the incredible photographs of a sinkhole just outside the front door. I mean, another foot or two and the car would have gone into the sinkhole. And the story of Gary O'Donovan, dad of three, uh, makes all of the papers today in quite some detail. Something that we dealt with on the air last week is the Cork Limerick motorway, where it is literally, um, you know, cleaving its way through people's farms. It's going to be a public meeting held on Thursday in Whitechurch. And much of the opposition, according to the Echo and their right, is from people within the communities who are saying that they could uh, potentially rip communities apart. So that'll be quite interesting. Don't know how many of you have seen uh, any episodes of the new Jim Sheridan Sky uh, Crime documentary. I've seen the whole thing, watched it yesterday. So on pain of death, I've been warned here to cop myself on and not go through it in any amount of detail for people who have only seen maybe one or two episodes. And I'm happy enough with that. I won't do that. Uh, Mind you, if you have seen a couple of episodes and you're interested in chatting, um, do get in touch. Text 0868104106. The Independent this morning says Jim Sheridan, uh, his raw, true crime series captured Bailey in all his moods. I have to agree with that. It, It really did focus on Bailey, the man uh, you know, Bailey and going about his business and going about his life. And some as- aspects of it were, were quite sad with regards to, uh, to Ian Bailey. The uh, examiner says this morning, Bailey probably won't see the Sir Sophie murder documentary only because he doesn't have Sky. Uh, very interesting. I mean, Jim Sheridan is a super storyteller. That's what he does. We don't get any new information as such. And there's, uh, you know, no no huge revelations or anything apart from the fact that you know you can find somebody guilty of something without evidence and there certainly was no forensic evidence and nothing actually that put him at the scene of the crime but the mail on sunday yesterday had an exclusive interview with jules thomas and we know that in february she asked um, ian bailey to move out um of the house and uh, it's, it's quite interesting because she says uh, while ian was living with me i couldn't see my three daughters and grandchildren they refused to visit because they didn't want to meet him My daughters were absolutely thrilled when I finished with him. Apparently, she said that he has been looking for months for somewhere new to live to no avail. And she's considered helping to fund a caravan for him after his efforts to rent accommodation around West Cork came to nothing. She also, of course, reiterated and does this through the documentary as well, that despite their turbulent relationship, she said she never had any doubt that Bailey was innocent of the Duplantier murder. She talks also about the aspects of the Jim Sheridan documentary where photographs of her injuries are shown in the documentary, injuries she received uh, when Bailey beat her up. Um, and uh, w- one of the things that, that concern me right throughout it is actually, is actually Ian Bailey's drinking, I have to say. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're watching the documentary, well and good. I won't go too far on that. I have some texts on it, incidentally, and a couple of calls. There, the governments promise all sorts of things, and particularly governments who are, you know, possibly worrying about not getting re-elected or maybe losing out to Sinn Féin. So now they've said they're going to spend 12 billion euro to build 33,000 homes per year. We've heard all that guff before, and the last time we heard there was going to be 25,000 homes per year. But that's what they're saying now. They're saying that elderly people need to downsize. We need to remove height caps in cities so you can build upwards. We need to bring 90,000 vacant units into use that are just sitting there. This is all, and 33,000 new homes per year. Uh, when are you going to get around to that and give developers an opportunity to build further out of cities and rezone land, then I wonder? And for those that thought there's no work out there, McDonald's are hiring 800 new jobs. You know something? They employ an awful lot of people. McDonald's employ nearly 6,000 people right across the country. 
and uh, that job announcement got a welcome from the Taoiseach itself. Uh, but you need to be careful with the types of food you eat, particularly if you're pregnant, because the Mirror this morning says that one in six pregnant women attending their first antenatal clinics were classified as obese. But should they're eating for two, aren't they? God's sake. Feeding the baby in the womb. One in six obese. And, and of course, we, we don't need research to tell us that you can die of a broken heart. The amount of times in this program I have spoken of pe- to people and told you stories and shared stories of people whose partner died and they literally pined and pined and passed away themselves. So the research this morning is out. The Mirror says it's official. A broken heart really can be the death of you. And part two of Suzanne Harrington's recommendations to men on dating apps uh, makes the uh, Irish Times today. Actually, I think it's the Examiner. It's the, actually, my apologies. It says here the Irish Times. But it's actually the Examiner. Um, and we spoke to her last week. We had a great laugh with her. So part two of the do's and don'ts advice for men on dating apps uh, is in this morning's Examiner. And I will come back to that later on if you guys need a little bit more direction and advice from someone in the know. And watch out for that old predictive text. Oh, it's a curse, isn't it? I mean, every time I type the word the... T-H-E turns into T-G-E. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. Uh, But that's all right, because, of course, we dealt with lots of mortifying stories about a fortnight ago or maybe three weeks ago, I can't remember now, with regards to predictive text. But there's one here um, where um, the predictive text turned uh, a hairdresser's text to her mother. Um, She messaged her mum asking, can you bring, please, more conditioner for clients? Goddamn pesky phone turned conditioner into condoms. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, a little help makes a big difference. Mother says, Mother said, what in the name of God is she running in that salon at all, at all, at all? Anyway, lines open 1850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. And we drive on lots of calls, huge amounts of emails and texts. And I want to get through and mix it up and get as much stuff on the air as I can. Because if you guys get in touch, it's important that I share your stories and what you have to say. But to the phones we go. Uh, Paul Walsh is down at Three Little Piggies on Union Key. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? All right. Can, you're an educated man. You're a smart man. Can, can you can you follow what's going on now with the outdoor business and the guards saying, you know, no drinking outdoors, no sitting down with pints, only click and collect and go away? I mean, what's it all about? I'm not sure what they're playing at. Now, as you know, I had my own running with the guardy um, coming out of the first lockdown. When For Leo bought forward a raft of um, pennies opened and all that, I put my outside furniture out. That's right. Yeah. No, government never gave them any guidance, and local council never gave them any guidance to go around and tell cafes to remove their furniture. Actually, as a matter of fact, the Gardaí were in a meeting with City Hall the week before they started doing it in Cork City that time, right. and they were told by the council they wanted to encourage it, and the Gardaí agreed. And you know the city. I mean, I've been around. I was only I was in last week for an afternoon. Just just talk people through exactly what's in place in the city now. I mean, we know restaurants. I know Princess Street. I've seen Caroline Street. I've seen Oliver Plunkett Street. But what has been put in place for drinking? For drinking, anywhere, anywhere, basically, the on Borpanola stipulates anywhere you've got uh, you can put seating anywhere. You've got one point five meters clearance outside for pedestrians to pass and wheelchairs, prams, etc. Now, that's what a lot of bars have done, and they're following those guidelines, uh, that they don't have planning, but they're within the planning laws 
uh, that the City Hall have told them, look, you, you can go ahead and do this as long as you don't take the mick, basically, and block everything off. Okay, but they don't, they don't serve food, right? Well, some of them are not serving food. No, they're not, no, but... Um, like Oliver Plunkett Street at the moment, usually you have traffic that will come up and down Oliver Plunkett Street uh, between the hours 11 and 5. Like it'd be rubbish trucks, it'd be uh, service vehicles and everything like that. All that is stopped to facilitate the likes of the Boron Barno and the Oliver Plunkett, uh, the Marcus uh, Tavern and all these places that they can put seating out a bit further, extend the roadside to allow them to get... As many so, people as possible, comfortably, within guidelines. So the ba- so the Baron would be in a bit of trouble, but the Oliver Plunkett wouldn't because the Oliver Plunkett's serving food outside. Yes, we see, at the moment now, there's no traffic on Oliver Plunkett Street at all. So they can put seating outside. So the, the street basically becomes a pedestrianised pavement. So that there's no, there's no impeding of pedestrians or anybody else on the street. But the guards have said that drinking outside pubs, sitting down in seating areas where they're serving alcohol is illegal. Well, this is where we're going to have to go back to what happened to me. There was no guidance from government at the time to the Gardaí. But city council and local authorities told them they wanted to encourage outside seating. I imagine City Hall now and the council in Galway has had meetings with the Gardaí and said they want to encourage it. But again, the Gardaí are going outside their... They're, I don't know what you call it, their jurisdiction or whatnot, but it's not with licensing laws, but they're, they're being a little bit heavy-handed. Have a listen to this from the Irish Times. Local councils across the country have granted licensed premises permission to set up seating areas on the streets or paths in front of their businesses until indoor, until indoor drinking and dining is permitted again. That's exactly what you've just said, right? But yeah. the guardee said these areas are not covered by the alcohol licensing originally issued by the district court, meaning the sale of alcohol for consumption is illegal. In actual fact, the guards have now gone so far to say that out, outlets selling food or beverages are currently restricted to takeaway for consumption off the premises. Which means, and doesn't that mean that the guards are saying that any outdoor food that's been set up uh, temporarily or what have you is illegal? This is what they're saying. So we've got local bylaws, and one of the local bylaws in Cork City is you've got to have um, alcohol served and, and takeaway alcohol. When you've got to go beyond 100 metres of the pub to drink it. So surely we've got Cork City Council are going to turn around and say, OK, we're going to pass uh, an emergency bylaw that's going to allow this, that's going to say to the Gardaí, it is permitted. Like, the councils, they've given out money, haven't they? For people to bi- listen, build them, they've given they're grants? They've given out grants. I've, I've actually successfully um, applied for and got weathering grants and restart grants and, uh, like... Uh, on Copley Street, I've got room for three tables. Uh, the pavement is quite wide. I've put them there. I'm applying for a licence for them. And you said, uh, I've seen first-hand Gardaí abusing their powers regarding seating. Is that recently? Yeah. I, I've, I've come across that. I, I, I was one of the people that they did it to. Um, they said there, that time they told me to take my furniture in, that the country was reopening. I said to them, well, what legislation are you acting under? They said, the 1948 Health Act. They said, it just doesn't say anything about seating on that. But then, well, our interpretation of the law is this. Yeah, but I thought everything had eased up. Way, you know, we had, that they had uh, everybody had pulled back from, you know, being, you know, 
The season with the Catholics at the time only seemed to happen in one of two areas as well. One was Cork, one was Galway. And a small bit more for the rest of the country, the guarantee weren't acting on okay, it. So. Okay, okay. And, and what, what, what do you think that uh, businesses should do in spite of what the guarantee are saying? I, I think that until government come out and give directives, I think that they should go by what Cork City Council are saying and by what government are saying. Uh, if the Gardaí come and say, remove us, you just refer them to the local government, refer them to main government and say, until we get directive and until we get guidance from government, we're not moving. OK, let me get the opinion. Thank you for that, Paul. As always, uh, regular listener, Publican Michael O'Donovan is also chairman of the Vintners in Cork and joins me by phone from his own public house. Morning. Good morning, Neil. Can you clarify and just pick your way through all of this? What's going on? Yeah, look, Neil, I suppose um, the background to this is if we go back a step to May the 27th, we kind of got communications from, I suppose, government that it was going to be outdoors and that the T-shirt was going to announce on Friday the 29th that, um, you know, outdoor dining, drinking could commence. The term that was used was outdoor hospitality. Yes, could could commence on, on the 7th of June. So... On that date, we informed our members, I suppose just a reminder, that if they are going out onto the public uh, footpaths, for want of a better word, that they need to extend their licence. And what that is, is if you uh, get your licence in the court, it's assigned to a specific area. So like if you're in your room at the moment, if you go to court, that's the size of your bar, that's where you get your licence for. To extend it out onto the public footpath, you need to get what's called a Section 254 licence through your local authority. And uh, without getting too technical, you have to submit, you know, your tables, your chairs, your insurance, um, um, all those kinds of things. Did that happen? Yes, on on the Monday, uh, the following Monday, there was vast numbers of publicans uh, did do it. Um, And look, where we are now is... Uh, from a survey monkey that we've done, there's about 52% of our members are open. A lot of those would have had outside areas prior to uh, this year anyway, so they would have had uh, licenses before. And what we have said is if you're increasing your numbers, you just need to amend your license to include the extra tables and chairs. Um, if you have that Section 254 license, uh, it has to be a segregated area so that you you have it identified, clearly identified, and people within that area, then your licence is, ex- is extended out onto the public footpath, per okay. se, okay. and then you are permitted to serve food or drink, whichever, or if you're just a, a traditional pub, it'll just be drink. If you're a gastro pub, you'll be doing both food and okay. drink, probably. Thank and you, you for that. Serve that 254, the section of the licence, okay. And have the Obviously. guards been calling and checking on that? Well, this is where they're, uh, I suppose, here in Cork, to be fair, the Gardaí, and look, we're very grateful to the Minister uh, for her statement last night where they have discretion. We have had a bit of a backlog uh, through City Council, and look, it's just, I think, just with the sheer numbers, um, and the timeline has been tight. Look, you can imagine people spent a lot of money. They were waiting, I suppose, to get the green light from the Taoiseach, and all those applications went in, um, in and around the end of May, but where we are now today, look it's probably about a six week backlog but if you have your reference number um, from your application um, we are hopeful and common sense that that would be uh, that that would uh, oh I see okay so their license 254 section of the license is pending for them but you're saying that that that's as good as a green light 
basically, yes. Okay. And look, it's it's uh, and this is where we are now at the moment. Yeah. Are you still there? Okay, I seem to have lost uh, Michael. That, that's been happening a bit these days. So come back to him after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Sorry, Michael missed you there. Michael O'Donnell from the Castle in South Main Street. Are you okay? Yeah. Is this, is this really just a Galway issue, really? Has something different been happening up in Galway where apparently maybe they haven't been going before the courts? Is this what this yeah. is about? Uh, possibly, Neil, look, uh, but I think it, it's happening in other places as well. But look, here in Cork, I suppose, um, look, um, I suppose I'm just worried about what, what happens in Cork. We've been very fortunate. We, we have a good working relationship with the Gardaí here. And I think our members were, I think, well briefed here and uh, did the licensing, you know, uh, requirements. And the City Council have been working very well, um, you know, and, and helpful with the members that want to go outdoors. And look, they've been providing the outdoor grant. And look, we've been told by uh, by the government really that it's going to be an outdoor uh, summer uh, summer and like hopefully we're we're still very hopeful that but this, this doesn't help if if the guards do clamp down on a, on an outdoor summer no it is look it won't help but I suppose look this day two weeks we're we're looking forward to going indoors hopefully so um, it'll be exactly two weeks from this morning so um, look hopefully this will be resolved and I suppose what we're hoping is. Um, that the Department of Justice, who we wrote uh, 10 days ago on this issue, will now come out with clarity to give to the Gardaí for this going forward. So are you saying this is a bit of a storm in a teacup and just uh, let's not get worked up about it, is it? Yeah, I, I think so, Neil. Look, it, it's um, look. I think if uh, if common sense prevails, it, um, it, uh, it, it will hopefully work its way through. Because right now, anybody that's serving food or drink outdoors with this license application pending is breaking the law um technically i suppose yes yeah. Neil, but look if they have the license application in uh look we're 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 asking i suppose and hoping that uh, that common sense would prevail in that okay and on july 5th what's expected to happen indoors then with regards to numbers etc Look, where, where we are now, we're working under the guidelines that were issued with Fall to Ireland, um, and we are expecting, look, I suppose we were hopeful that there would be a change in the guidelines um, going through this month ahead of reopening on July the 5th. Um, I think where we're right now, I think we'll be opening under the same guidelines in that we will have social distancing requirements. People will have to wear masks indoors until they sit at their table. And then if they're moving to the toilet, they will have to wear their mask again. Contact tracing will be in place. But I think the big one is we will have the two metre vis-a-vis one metre as well indoors in that if you're uh, you're able to do two metre social distancing, you will not have a time limit. And if you're doing one metre social distancing, you will have the time limit placed upon you. Okay, but no food order being um, uh, expected. No, you, this is no, none no, of that nine no, euro business. We've no, like the the, the tarnished, uh, to be fair, um, has uh, has us told that uh, that we will never again see that requirement. And from July fifth, but no music okay. indoors. Unfortunately, yes, no music. But look, I suppose um, we were, I suppose, hopeful um, that later in the summer uh, that we will see. Uh, it, 
the restrictions easing, hopefully. Okay. All right. Listen, thanks for dropping everything. Appreciate the call as always. Have a good day. Enjoy the sunshine. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Cheers, Neil. Thank you. Publican Michael O'Donovan on uh, Castle Street. He himself doesn't have the, the, the square footage outside his property. And other pubs don't as well. Some of the most um, popular ones don't. You know, the traditional pubs, they don't have actually any square footage to work with at all. So they're the ones that would be coming back and waiting patiently until July 5th. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868 104 I suppose the insurance aspect of this is interesting because your insurance, while it's pending before the courts for the application under the um, the bylaw, I imagine it also means that your insurance doesn't kick in for outdoors, doesn't it? That's probably another issue, I suppose. Uh, anyway, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Mick Hall. Mick, good morning. Hi, Neil. Um, you, you go first. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. I just wanted to tee up what we were talking about last week. The amount of people who won't go back to work are happy on the pup and many people are really annoyed about it, particularly those who are going out working hard, paying their taxes for those who are just sitting back and enjoying the pup payment, particularly if they had a part-time job that didn't pay anywhere near the €350 a week pup. Anyway, pick up on that. Yeah, so Neil, here's my story. I don't, I'm not there here to upset anyone or judge anyone, but here's my story. Yeah. Um, I own a call centre in Cork. It's difficult to get staff. I, through a mutual contact in the employment industry last Tuesday, I got a CV. I found a guy. I interviewed him Thursday. He turned up, to be fair, he was, you know, he was dressed up. We had a chat. He told me he was getting 1200 a month on the pop. I offered him a job there and then because he had the skill set I was looking for. Um, we agreed to even start today. Um, I set his desk up and his license and things. Literally got a text half hour later, don't want the job. What did he say uh, in the text? Uh, literally, thanks for your time, Mick. Uh, I've decided to uh, reject your offer. Now, I checked back with the contact who sent the original CV. It's not as though he got a better offer. He just made a decision. He would be probably 300 a month better off with me um, and I think he just made the decision he stick to what he's got I and mean, that's not factual Neil to be oh, fair I know, but, but you're, you're suggesting easier. that perhaps his, his train of thought was I'm getting 1200 to do nothing why would I go out and work a 37 hour week for an extra 100 a week that's it and, and look and to be fair I don't really blame him I mean uh, I, I think personally should there not be some kind of system where you get offered a job, you reject it. Maybe, look, if you reject another one, we'll reduce your payment. I don't know. Reduce it. People were it. screaming and roaring last week that they should the pop payment should be stopped for somebody who does that. Well, the other side of the coin, Neil, is well, during the first lockdown, uh, two people left, uh, and they was experienced. They've been with me a year plus, and they just said, look, with all the travelling... I'll take the fourteen hundred a month or whatever it was at the time, and yes. they're still they still lost to me. They're not coming back. I understand what you're saying there, Mick, because yeah. say if it was an extra three or four hundred to work the month, you have to bear in mind that there would be travel costs involved, petrol, maybe Absolutely. bus fares, lunches, you know, buying that, extra yeah. clothing, walking around, money. A hundred percent. And this guy was twenty five minutes from me. He drove. And I could almost see him doing his sums in his head. Um, so I don't think it's his fault. I, but from the country's point of view, he had the opportunity or I had the opportunity to save the country 1200 a month by employing him. He then pays taxes. That's going back into the kitty. Um, but there's, 
the uh, tourist Nura who sent me the CV, they said, look, he, he doesn't have to take the job. And did many people apply for that position, incidentally? No. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. Um, I probably get one CV a week. Despite, I, I mean, I, I listen to your show and there's people saying they're looking for work. Yeah. But um, I, I don't get many CVs, to be honest. And it's difficult because of the, the money I think they get on the social welfare. Or, or is it because maybe it's not a great paying job, if you don't mind me saying? I'm just asking. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll be honest. Uh, starting is the, the basic 10, 20 an hour. There's commission on top of that. So... And an average telesales agent would take home about 1800 if they hit target and get commission. Um, so, look, it's not so bad. Um, the hours that I offered were 11.30 till 7. So, again, not the worst hours on the world, mm-hmm. in the world. Monday mm-hmm. to Friday, Saturday's an option with overtime. Um, and we're flexible. If somebody says to me they're studying one night a week, we, we're very flexible on that. So, are you still looking Yes. Because I get texts on a regular basis from people saying that they sent, even last week, somebody sent out 20 different CVs, 20 different resumes, got no responses from any of the people she sent it to. And a a lot of those were people actually advertising for work. Yeah. um, Look, everyone gets a reply. As I say, the example of this person, I got the CV Tuesday, rang him Wednesday, booked him in Thursday. Um rejected Thursday afternoon. I, I don't really blame him, as I say. Yeah, okay. Let's see if there's other employers have similar stories to share like that. So if I get calls from somebody who's interested in that position, can I flip them on to you? 100%. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, Mick. Stay in touch. Thank Appreciate you. it as always. Okay, have a nice day. There is a new line being used by an awful lot of people now who go after a job. A lot of the time they apply for jobs where they're already in jobs. And it's none of my business as to the motivation behind it. But a lot, sometimes it's to get a better deal from your current employer. So they will apply for other jobs, they'll be interviewed, they'll be offered the job, and then they go back to their employer that they're already with and say, listen, I've been offered a job, I've been headhunted or I've been approached, and this is the salary I'm thinking of going, what can you do about it? And if they're good, of course, their current employer will give them more money to stay. So a lot of the time it's a little game or a little dance that's being played. played. Others, of course, are clearly genuine and are looking to move on and looking for jobs. But now they use a term called, you know, when 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 they do that, then and perhaps get more money, I think, from the employer that they're with. They then get back to the employer that's offering them the job and say things like, my circumstances have changed. My circumstances have changed. So the circumstances that um, the Gardaí say never changed was that outdoor seating is actually illegal. Not just for drinking. According to the Irish Times this morning, the guards are saying that outdoor outlets selling food or beverages are currently restricted to business or takeaway under their license. Now, I don't think that the guards anytime soon are going to be hitting on pubs and restaurants on Leaside. But but you never know. They're saying that as things stand, it, it's illegal. So if they were to enforce that, we'd have a fairly gloomy summer. Well, certainly up until the fifth day of July. I was talking with the barrister, Tim Bracken, last week. He joins me by phone again, just on a point of law. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. And you just wanted to, to row in on this. So go ahead. Yeah, you see, there is confusion about this, Neil, and I think maybe even the Gardaí are confused about it. A publican with an ordinary seven-day publican's license can sell on or off his premises. Now, in Cork City, there is a bylaw where you can't drink in public. That's for public order, etc. But the exception to that is 
if the city council give you a permit to put tables and chairs outside your premises, then people can sit there and they can actually consume the intoxicating liquor in an unlicensed area, in public. And there is nothing to prevent them from doing that, provided they have the permit from the city council. And do we know if the permit was given out by city council to all of these Well, yes, because I think publicans apply and they get this permit. They call it licenses from the city council, which is a misnomer. I prefer to call it a permit to distinguish it from the intoxicating liquor license, which is in the the pub. Now, the only thing about that is that the contract for the sale of the intoxicating liquor must take place in the premises. So if you and I are walking down the street, we sit outside some pub and a nice table and chairs and a nice day, we order two pints, we actually have to go in to the pub to pay for them. All right. And so therefore, cash shouldn't be changing hands on the street or in these areas. But, but that's is, that is what's areas. happening, though. The, uh, it's the, but the, they the, shouldn't. And I've advised lots of my clients in relation to that. And I said, do not take cash or do not bring the credit card machine out that make the person come into the door of the pub. Then the contract is completed on the licensed premises and the sale has taken place on the licensed premises. The consumption is off the premises on the street. Okay, okay. So that bylaw with regards to people walking around drinking, that's still in place, is it? Well, that's still in place. That's still in place. And that is a bylaw. And the, 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 the only exception to it is uh, premises that have the permits from the local authority to to sit outside the premises and consume us within that area. But you know all of the, the we see the big gatherings in the city, certainly around the Peace Park and around um, uh, Bishop Bruce, where people are drinking oh, or illegal. down, down the keys. Yeah, they're they're illegal for the persons who are consuming the alcohol, not for the publican who has sold it. But why isn't it, why isn't it illegal for the publican to sell it to them, knowing they're going to be drinking because it on the, the keys? The publican the publican's license allows him to sell on or off. And he's selling off. I mean, it's a bit of a loophole, but I mean, I know some pubs were selling out through the window, effectively. And that was causing the gatherings. But the the publican, in my view, was perfectly within his rights to sell it out through the window because it's selling it off the premises. So you're you're saying that the Gardaí's interpretation is wrong, then? I would I would disagree with the Gardaí's interpretation completely. Now, what they're, if they're saying... Now, they could be right in that if... Two people like you and I say sit down outside this place and we're having a few pints and we're paying for it on the street. That is illegal. But if, we're, but if, but if we run a tab and one of us goes in and yeah. clears the tab inside the premises and the till is inside the premises, then the sale has taken place inside the premises. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But all, this, all, this we, all, we, need, all, to, all we need to do to is try and get to July 5th. The sa- Victorian, That's this all. is a Victorian boiler. But all we need to do is get to the 5th of July safely and then this is a mute point, yeah. isn't it? It is. It'll be a moot point completely. Well, no, it's a point that's there all the time. And I've been advising publicans in relation to this since the smoking ban came in, you know, back in the about 2003. And I said, when they put up these tables and chairs outside the premises, I said, that's fine. But just do table service out to those, but make sure that the transaction is completed within the licensed premises. And that's a problem at the moment because you can't be encouraging punters to come inside the well, premises. You can't, but you should set up maybe a till at a window or maybe just inside the door or something like that. Some punters could come in one by one. That is, that, that is a problem with COVID. You don't believe that the Gardaí will be enforcing this anytime soon, though, do you? Um, I don't know. Well, they're making enough noise about it. 
I mean, it's, it's all over the, the news today. And um, no, it, it would be, how would I put it? It would be a tortured soul that would go around to the table and say, did you pay for it out here or did you pay for it inside? But I mean, I've, but I've advised people, take the money inside. Do gotcha. not walk out onto the street with the credit card machine. Gotcha. Okay, bring on July 5th. And let's move Absolutely. on with this. All right. Let's Thanks as on, always, yeah. Tim. Appreciate it. Okay, Enjoy yeah. the day today, Tim Bracken Barrister. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850 Some texts on the Ian Bailey documentary that dropped or started to drop on uh, uh, on Sky last night. Incidentally, you can watch the entire lot of them. There's five of them, isn't it? Five? I think there's five. Uh, you can watch them all on Now TV. I'm getting texts from people saying, where can we watch that? If you don't have uh, Sky you can get, I don't know what it is, you can get a six-month subscription, or if you play your cards right, you might be able to get a free month from Now TV. Uh, Gordon says, I think we can all agree that regardless of whether he did it or not, the Gardaí and the French authorities failed completely at investigating the crime properly, and a conviction is now unlikely in this country. Uh, Pauline says, it's shocking this man was found not guilty of wrongdoing, so therefore, th- it's shocking. This man was found not guilty of wrongdoing, so therefore he's innocent until proven otherwise. Well, actually, even more to the point, he was never found not guilty nor guilty. He was never tried. Mary says, just starting episode three on Sky, it's quite peculiar how he had a, had suspected briar marks on his arms and he had a bonfire and his infamous black coat vanished. I'll hold judgment until all five episodes are over, but it looks quite suspicious to me. Um, I won't say any more about the infamous black coat, uh, apart from the fact that that didn't vanish at all. All will become very apparent as you watch the other episodes with regards to Ian Bailey's long black coat. Uh, Marie says, people should just leave this guy alone. Ian says, on balance, I think we have to accept Ian Bailey's claim that he is not responsible for this horrific crime. His innocence is something that he has asserted um, throughout and from the very beginning. Laura says, I don't know will they ever find who killed her. An awful death. Too much time has passed. Her husband is now dead also. It's just sad on her family and children without not, not knowing what happened to their mother. Uh, well, they believe they do from the French trial where, where Bailey was found guilty. They, they believe uh, in his guilt. Um, but certainly she doesn't deserve any of this. How a woman's life ended in a brutal death is just so sad. R.I.P. Sophie. And just two more. Maria says, I wholly believe he is innocent. And Helena says, that poor man has been to hell and back. After watching the five-episode documentary, I honestly don't believe he was the person who killed her. He's lived 25 years of hell trying to prove his innocence. It's ridiculous. So sad to ruin not just his life, but his partner Jewel's life as well. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. By text 0868104106. On hospitality, just listening to Neil this morning, it's time for the hospitality industry to start paying people more than just minimum wage. I was working full-time in a bar in town for three years for no more than €360 a week. It's hard work, lads. I decided to leave the hospitality industry completely after the lockdown because it's just too volatile. If they're cancelling the pop in September and there's a fourth wave, will I be left with nothing? Where is the security anymore and where's the value in staff? Nowhere to be seen. It's not fair to bust your back for minimum wage in an industry that requires very high standards and customer service and safety in the current climate. Most of my friends have also left bars and restaurants People in their 20s won't work for spare change anymore. I now work in a completely different sector 
uh, for almost one and a half times my previous wage. No wonder they can't get staff. Don't give out my details. I, I imagine that probably sums up the situation of a lot of people actually working in hospitality. It's hard work. The money isn't great. And unless we sort out the whole tipping system in this country, it's never going to improve anytime soon. And other people have gone and worked in other industries in the past 12 months where the hours are an awful lot better, you know, and you're probably in a situation where your weekends are free as well. Uh, I have to say, yesterday was Father's Day and uh, we, we took myself and my own dad and my, my two kids, we headed off down to uh, to Barry's and Douglas. Wow, it was absolutely incredible. They put in, taken over the entire car park in the village and they put in tables and chairs and fantastic canopies and little pods as well that you can eat in. I think you can book them in advance. And it was jammed with people. I mean, safely jammed now. There was an incredible buzz there. At one stage, there was this... Remember that yesterday afternoon, late in the afternoon, there was a huge fall of rain? Uh, It was like as if you were in Thailand for about 10 minutes. And it was baiting down off the canopies. But everyone was fine. It's the odd little drip here and there. But a fantastic buzz. Do you know, some of these are so good, they should never take them down after COVID. They should leave this outdoor seated area what they put in in many places, because many of them are absolutely superb, and they certainly were in Barry's yesterday. Uh, can you ask, Neil, please, does the pub insurance cover your drinking outside of the premises? Uh, I would think the council would be liable in a lot of cases if a claim was made. Uh, my apologies. That would, could have been a question I could have put to uh, Tim Bracken. Maybe if Tim is listening, you might text back, text 0868104106. If you get a minute, uh, Barrister Bracken. Um, you're on about licenses. On Garda Shikona should know that only a sovereign government can issue a license says Mick. Eilish, honest to God, talking about trying to dampen people's spirits again. To see people outside here in our town with smiles on their faces, especially older couples who've been cooped up since March 2020. And regards to no music, what a joke. Um, What a stupid context, says Eilish. Um, He's driving back from West yesterday afternoon uh, and I was going through a lot of the different towns and, and villages as you do. And it was lovely to see people outdoors, Weather was pretty good, uh, lovely actually, quite warm, and they were all outside. Some of them were eating, others were just having a, a couple of pints and what have you. It was lovely to see, and many, many families just gathering and outdoors and spending money as well, and that's what the economy is all about. I was drinking on Union Quay during the week. I expected to settle the tab at the end, but we pay, but no, we paid for each pint, either with a card or cash at each serving. It's a little awkward, but I'd imagine the bar preferred to do it this way because it would be just too easy for people to walk off without paying. Uh, good point. Thanks for that. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. To the phone lines we go. Dave McGrath. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How much of uh, Murder in the Cottage have you watched? I watched two episodes last night. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, what's uh, I, and there's three more episodes next Sunday night, one after the other. Okay. And they're all actually available if anybody wants to watch them yeah. in one go on Now TV. Yeah. And I watched them all yesterday. So Emer is swearing me to silence. Although I have to say, there's nothing actually new in the documentary. It's retelling a story, you know? Yes, that's right. But um, having said that, though, before, before I talk about the documentary, I was just reading on the, the Saturday's Mail, um, uh, like tw- tw- 25 years, 25, Liam Bailey was arrested like three weeks after the murder. And 25 years later, they still have no evidence for anything ever. There's any type of evidence to prove, to prove that he's guilty. But still, he's actually like a prisoner. Um, he can't go over. He can't go, go outside the country. So uh, we talk about people in the past 15 months with mental health from the COVID. 
young people can't see their friends and the old people are locked up in their home. Like, I can imagine what his, what, what would his mental health be for 25 years? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know so much about that, but, um, he, Yeah, but he, I mean, when, he, when he's waiting for the gals to knock at the door, maybe three knock in the morning, the rest of them. I mean, that's an awful way to live it for 25 years. But, like, going back to the documentary... Uh, um, there, there won't be any more European arrest warrants. Uh, he's won that one in the High Court. That's over. He's a prisoner on the island of Ireland, but no fear of the French yeah, anymore now. But, he, but he's a prisoner, but he's been found guilty. Of, he's not been found guilty of anything. He's not been found guilty of anything, Neil. Here's where he stands, according to Jules Thomas yesterday, is that uh, the next stage now is that he will have to find a caravan to live in. That's right. And another point, you know, things about, you know, that chap, that journalist in Iran, three weeks, four weeks ago, that was there, the, the, the Ryanair plane was brought down. Yes, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think now that if Ian Bailey was on a plane sometime in the future, um, and he was flying over French airspace, I would imagine the same thing would happen to him. That's well, he has told me in the past that he will never leave Ireland because anything could happen, including that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has said that that but, would not be safe, he told me. Well, going back to the going back to the read to the um, well, she, Sophie arrived in in in, in Cork on 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 Friday the twenty twentieth of uh, December in nineteen ninety six. She was only in in, in school three days, like when she was killed. Mm. Now, um, so whoever done it, like uh, first of all, they said it couldn't be no one from outside the country because even a lot of crime journalists at the time couldn't find the house. They were, took hours to find it. They were turning off different boreens and this and that and they just couldn't get it. And ah, but I mean, I, I saw that part so, of it. That, that doesn't make yeah. sense because if you wanted to plan a murder, you would research yeah. it in advance even if you were from the back of beyond. Well, yeah, well, someone could have been in the country for a few days, saw her walking in the main street, shopping, followed her back to her house. That could happen. But I mean, like that night... As far as I can see, there were two or three houses actually near her house. They were very close to her house neighbours. Now, um, I would imagine she put up a terrible struggle, Neil, uh, looking at the documentary. She was savagely beaten for a long time, I think. And she defended herself as much as she could. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, you would imagine, like, that uh, in the middle of the night, when there's no sound of anything, that she must have screamed and roared at the top of her voice. And that, uh, that none of the neighbours held them. They didn't, they, they said, it was the it was it was winter time. There was a, an amount of distance involved, and it was a cold night, and the windows were closed. Just hold that thought, if you don't mind, Dave. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revan. Red FM. And this is the Neil Frienderville Show. And they're saying it will be an outdoor summer, and indeed for many it has been already. Many places are very, very busy, which is great to see. Uh, and we have something that you can really use uh, across the summer outdoors. It's a super deluxe Weber Genesis gas grill barbecue. Four powerful burners, high capacity cooking area. This is the Porsche 911 of barbecues, this one. It's a cracker. Comes with all of the accessories and everything you need to be uh, the best barbecuer in the park, the estate or the city. 
or the county even for that matter. Uh, you can even do, um, you, know, you know, a lot of people have become very adventurous now. They roast entire chickens on the barbecue and whatever. I think you can adapt this one as well to, to make pizza. So it's a fantastic barbecue with all of the uh, bells and whistles. And that's courtesy of Carewswood uh, Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr. I hope you get down there and have a look at the wonderful things they do because they've got a fabulous cafe down there as well as everything else in Castle Martyr. Just turn right there at um, what was Pat Short's pub as if you're heading for Castle Martyr and check it out. So more on that across the morning. Uh, what are we, how are we giving it away? Well, I was reading some research last week that said that, and I don't include myself in this because I have no memories whatsoever of uh, being two years old or two and a half for that matter but they are saying that our earliest childhood memories begin from the age of two and a half I don't mean to frighten you if you can't remember anything at, at two and a half but they say that people can go right back to two and a half I mean I've read stories in the past where people people can remember being in the womb it's kind of freaky isn't it but they say anyway uh, so that's the idea. So I want you to share your earliest childhood memory. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. And as always, you can email neil at uh, redfm.ie. I mean, for an awful lot of people, it could well be a particular toy. I mean, for me, I think I would have been maybe four, perhaps five years old. And I recall one of my earliest childhood memories. I think it, it's constantly triggered because there's a photograph of it knocking around, you know? That kind of way. Uh, and it's a, it's a three-wheeler blue bike that I absolutely love. And it's a photograph of myself sitting up and my sister is with me. That's one of my earliest memories. I mean, clearly we, we see photographs of ourselves in our mother's arms when we're babies. And we, you know, okay, that's me, a baby. But I don't remember it. But clearly the photograph was taken of me. But I'd love to talk with people as to how far you can actually go back. So text 0868104106 on your earliest childhood memory. Apologies to Dave McGrath. I ran out of time there just before 10 o'clock and I uh, wanted to do the mannerly thing and allow him to finish what he had to say. So Dave, they originally... Line back again, Dave. Yeah, so I won't keep you long, but they originally started with 50 suspects and very quickly whittled it down to one. Yeah, you saw that in the documentary that you watched. I last. did, but uh, I, I think, I think, um, I think what happened, and I read it in the mail on Saturday, was that the guards knew um, before she was murdered. They knew uh, Ian Bailey's history. They knew that he was uh, that he had given his partner Joe Thomas uh, beatings. You now he's beat her up. Yeah, and uh, they think that that's one of the main reasons. Why the girls arrested him at such an early stage? You know that he was he was beating up women, and so and, and like they kind of ruled out um, any any uh, foreigner or uh, linked to the killing. And there was uh, there was a major suspect uh, in in the skull, and uh, they honed in on him and just and uh, and brought him in. But, well, I mean, again, this is common knowledge now because it's in the first couple of documentary episodes I believe yeah. he wrote an article for the Star newspaper where he had way too much information according right. to the guards he stated in the Star article that Sophie Toscan de Plantier was not sexually assaulted Don't and the guards said the guardies down west said how did he know that we never told anybody that that's right he, did, he said and the Star that she had head, severe head injuries not sexually assaulted and there was no one outside the guards knew that at the time. So he would have and said that he had contacts with the guards and inside contacts with the guards. They denied all of that. Um, so, well, I wouldn't. Be, you know, I would. I wouldn't. I would. Uh, that was I, the I original would, interest take that with in assault. What? I would take that with a grain of salt. But like, and on, 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 on what was very sad about 
uh, about Sophie's death was that when she was killed and she was on the she was lying on the ground on a very cold uh, December night and what happened was uh, the local guardie hadn't a clue um, how to deal with that kind of a situation, that kind of a murder. There was no guard to murder experience yeah. locally. They had to get onto the, Dub- the technical bureau in Dublin to get people down. Uh, they didn't leave until the following day, and uh, it took them seven or eight hours to get down. And when they got down to Skull Neil, they actually, believe it or not, the day after uh, uh, one of the biggest murders in, in the history of the state, the gallery station was closed. Funny, do you? Yeah. And then they went. And then the state pathologist uh, didn't arrive for twenty four hours, and and Sophie Duplantis, Sophie Tuscan Duplantis's body was frozen solid. Frozen, and they and they went to a they went to a telephone box in in the main street in the village, and uh, believe it or not, it was vandalised, and they couldn't call whoever. Then go on to the state pathologist, John Halberson. Uh, he was celebrating his birthday at the time that day. And there was no mobile phones, and they couldn't. He was uncontactable for hours and hours. And when they did actually get on to him, um, it was late, and it was a seven-hour journey to Skull. And he said, "Look, it's not worth my while getting into the car right now. That's I'll wait until right. the right. following That's day." Right. And in 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 some kind of defence to that, he was the only person um, in the country that was working as a state pathologist. Now we have lots more. That's right. He had no he had no deputy state pathologist, and and he could not. So the first twenty, the first twenty-four hours were vital, mind you. I imagine the first, with forensics and all that, the first yes. few hours are vital, and all that was lost. The temperature of the body was gone, and they were on the back foot from then on, weren't they? And they couldn't tell. They couldn't tell then actually the time of death. No way. But whomever no, killed Sophie Toscan de Plantier was a sociopath of the highest order. To that's inflict, that, that, to inflict that, the injuries. That's what, me, that's, that's what baffles me, Neil, because. You know, if you suppose now someone uh, done something to a member of your family and you said, I think you up and said, listen, I, I, would, I, I would kill that person if someone interfered. Well, my automatic family, reaction right? would be, I'd do time for it, like, yeah. Uh, well, you'd do time for it, but, but I mean, just like, you'd kill someone, you might, you might shoot them or stab them or, or whatever. But the savagery of this actually baffles me, like, she was, there was, she was beaten 74 times with, with, with a concrete block. And um, her her face was funny enough. In the documentary, the priest said the priest said um, that she still had her beautiful face. And then later on in the documentary, they said she was unrecognisable. Well, whoever whoever killed her walked twenty feet away from the body, picked up a massive breeze block, and walked back with it, and, dro- and yeah. dropped it on her head. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. You you are aware that Sophie Tuscan de Plantier's um, uh, family pulled out of the Sheridan documentary and had all of their footage uh, edited out at the weekend. Well, well, well they, were in, they, were in, they were in the two episodes last night. Last no, that's night. file footage. They, they, everything that they gave to Jim Sheridan, they asked him to take it out. They're not at all happy well, with it. Well, did you not find it? They came to Cork a few days after the murder and they were picked up by the girls in Cork Airport and they were... Oh, they were picked up. They met. They were taken to the Metropole Hotel, and uh, were not allowed to go to school to see uh, her, her body. They, they were interviewed, I think, for forty-eight hours as to who she knew or what kind of friends did she have, and all this kind of thing. But funny enough, her husband, for some reason, and a lot of people were baffled by this. I'm still husband, baffled by it. 
never trouble never came over. I'm still baffled by that. Why he didn't get on the first plane available? Um, I know that they were having their troubles, but what was what well, was Sophie Toscana Plantier doing? Him? Did, did he hire? Did he hire someone to kill her? He knew she was having an affair. There's lots of money involved. There was sex involved. Did didn't Maureen Farrell ringing from a public phone box? saying that she saw him on the bridge yeah. and eventually she rang from a landline and they found out who it was and then that's when whole nightmare started. Yeah, and, 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 and I will say... Involved, Neil. Yeah, I will say on behalf, just with regards to Marie Farrell, I think an awful lot of credit is due to her for eventually telling the truth. Yeah. Yes, right. In spite of everything that she went through with the... She said the guards put her up to it. She said the guardian intimidated her. Um, she was saying all sorts of stuff uh, about... Um, uh, the Gardaí uh, meeting her, telling her what to say, coaching her, and eventually she couldn't do it anymore and threw the whole thing into chaos when she withdrew all of her uh, original statements. Mind you, the French yeah. court used the original statement only in the case against Bailey in France. And, and one of the other uh, important, uh, what came out of it was that towards the end of the second the, the, uh, the documentary, Jews was asked in our house, um, did she think that Ian killed her? And she said, no, I don't believe he did, she says, because I knew him for 25, 30 years. And she said, uh, if he did, very quickly, he wouldn't be able to hide it, she said. Um, uh, emotionally or whatever way, she said she would know it fairly quickly. And, um, yeah, I know. And I know. He, he couldn't hide she, he. It's for something of that savagery. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil. Yeah, and you're up to episode two. Perhaps we'll have an opportunity to chat after you've watched the fifth one, uh, and other people have watched it as well. Because I don't want to. I've seen them all, but I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to spoil it. Just before I go, whoever killed her, right? That night, that, that morning, whatever time it happened, did one of the detectives said last night that there were the amount of blood that was at the scene. That he, the person would have been covered, soaked in blood. No, they are out in the middle of nowhere, down, down, not even near the sea. So, um, if Ian did kill her, I mean, he only went back into the house, to his partner's house, covered in blood, and went into the and had a shower in front of her. Marie so, Farrell did see somebody at Calefather Bridge. Yeah, but, she but, saw but, somebody but, about five foot eight, Bailey six foot three. So somebody. Yeah, but, yeah that's right. But, but where did this person like? To get rid of all that blood on their body evidence and change their clothes. I mean, he didn't go into Jules Thomas' house and do all that because she'd know straight away that he was at the murdering her. So, whoever killed her, where did this. They had to get into their car if they went into the sea and washed themselves in the sea. They get into their car. Why did they not check in his car to see if there was any blood stains in the seat or on the, right. on the steering wheel or okay. whatever? All right, okay. You know, well. there's an awful lot of it. There's an awful lot of it. I don't believe them. Um, no, maybe he did kill O'Neill or maybe he didn't. Both personally myself, I don't believe he did. Okay, come back to me after the fifth episode. We'll chat again. Appreciate it for now, David. Sophie Toscandes Plante has put family pulled out of the documentary at the weekend and all of their sections were taken on. They were replaced by file footage. That's why much of uh, what has to be said by the family is in French. Um, Ian Bailey now is weighing up a legal action against Netflix. Uh, I think Netflix will not be as perhaps as compassionate or as kind Bailey as perhaps the uh, Jim Sheridan I mean Jim Sheridan tells a fantastic story he's, he's a terrific storyteller uh, and if you're not watching it um, you know 
and encourage you perhaps to do so. I mean, like it's amazing because for well over 25 years, there was very little or no interest in, in this case, apart from the European arrest warrants, the libel case, Bailey's action against the state and the Gardaí and the French trial. And it would peak for a little while and then it would back off again. But then all of a sudden, two documentaries and a podcast comes along and there's huge interest in it all over again. Uh, to the phone lines we go. Shauna, good morning. Hey. How much have you watched of it? Uh, I actually finished it all yesterday. Oh, okay. So you, you and I need to be careful out of respect for yeah, people who haven't. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Your thoughts. Yeah, see, what stood out to me, I think it was just um, like when I was watching, it was the first episode. Um, it was just like where she was found. And like my question, I was watching it, was I never, like, you know, I just, I just, I never kind of got the closure on it. I suppose, was how does he get, or whoever the murderer was, get. Well, the murderer is constantly being referred to throughout the documentary as he. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, I'm not saying Bailey, but a male. Yeah, yeah. So how did that male get her outside of the house is what baffled me because there's something, like, I don't know, it looks like she was in a rush to get out of the house and like she was a female living in a remote area. Like by texting a while ago, like I was two nights ago, I was in my apartment alone and there was a drunk guy trying to get in. He was like buzzing for about 40 minutes and I, I ended up bringing the guards because I was home alone and I was actually kind of freaked out. Like mm. my instinct was not to go outside and draw my shoes and check. It was look out the window and rang the guard. Mm. No, it was, and there was guards. Did you, you never at one stage considered going out to see what you wanted? No, not a chance. Okay. Not a chance. But when you're home alone as well, especially when you're like, it's not being fixed. What like, was Sophie and Toscana Plantier doing in her pajamas and boots? Yeah, that's what I was like. And even like there was like the keys were on the door. Like there was like she was in a rush. Like it wasn't like she was like that's the impression I got. I don't know, but like it was like she was running out. She wasn't, you know, peeped at the window and said, I'll go for all wonder. Like there's so many factors that looked like she was in a rush to get out and check. Mm-hmm. And I was always kind of curious what got her outside in that much of a panic, um, which is scary enough to kind of think. Because when she's at such, such a remote area, like you wonder like if she didn't go out, would the story have been written completely differently? That's the mystery, you see. That is just, you're just describing an unsolved mystery. Mm, it's you know, scary. Was what was sad. the killer in the house? Was there really two wine glasses upturned on the sink? Um, yeah, there's so many factors, but like it's like I know it's still it's, again that's the joys of an unsolved mystery. Like they're just kind of putting factors in to kind of see the, do things fit. But like I saw my own. Did she go down to meet somebody to the gate? Did she go down to see somebody off and say goodbye to I somebody was, at the gate? Like, yeah, like I, I was thinking of again. I the state. I do not know obviously, but like just from. I suppose from listening to it, like the impression I was kind of guessing was like she sounds she sounded like a very, very strong kind of independent woman who would not have any fear fetching someone off. So if someone was on her land, I feel she wouldn't sit there and take it. But I kind of feel maybe she was in her house and someone was posing a threat maybe outside and she put on her boots and she ran. But the only thing I have though is that the keys are in the front door. So I was just kind of wondering like if you were, if you felt someone was outside. You take your keys out and you bring with you. Like she left the key, like the, la- the latch she had is the same latch as my grandmother. It's like when you close it in, there's a way to get back in without your keys. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I don't know. Like it's, it's really, it's really, I don't know. Did anything weird. happen in the house? Did the killer yeah. go back into the house? Exactly. Did the killer just get incredibly lucky with regards to fingerprints, DNA? I mean, exactly. You, know? you don't know. Like it's, it's just, I don't I think it's just, I think I just kind of like watched and I was kind of really like placed myself in her position and, it's just scary because I feel like it's I don't know she was a young woman and she was living alone and you know there's just I don't know it's, it's, I kept asking I know, myself the question what was she why was she there on her own at Christmas her husband and her son were in France 
like I won't answer that but there was video footage in the tape by the family that because obviously I won't spoil it because you haven't watched it yet but they stated why she was there alone something so to do with very, fixing the heating or the plumbing or said, yeah, so wasn't like it the boiler it, yeah. yeah okay that was it, yeah. she wanted to fix the heating and that they wanted to come over after Christmas and she wanted to get it sorted which is what to me is completely fair enough cause are you like, old enough to recall the murder back in 96 um, no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. I, was, I wasn't even born. I was born. Um, actually, I was, I was one. But it, what it was, but he crossed out to me because I know there's been like publicity all about the documentary. And years ago, my family, we went to Skull because um, my family of friends out there were on a boat and were on the water. And I remember um, when the lady, she pointed at me, that was Sophie to come to Fonte's house. I remember the time being like, I don't know who that lady is. I was only about maybe 10 or 11. Like, and that name didn't really resonate with me up until all the... You know, I don't know, I got older, I suppose, and you'd see documentaries and you'd hear about stuff and then it was all the... Books. Lumpus, yeah, I suppose, but yeah, and books and everything and even the person that I think was responsible, his name. And like, you know, it's just... I think the most things, no matter what age you are, you're going to know about it. Yes. What if you're born in 10 years' time, I think that name will always kind of resonate. So then the podcast came along, I imagine you probably listened to that. I listened to a bit of it, but I actually turned it off because it was kind of scary because I'd be listening to it if I was going for a walk. Oh, that podcast and is powerful. Yeah, that's not it. I don't. I think it's something you listen to maybe if you're home, just, you know, trying in the background. I wouldn't recommend people listening to it if they're going out for a walk in the afternoon when it's a bit dark because it's, just, it's scary. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Okay. Okay. An unsolved crime in Ireland, but a solved crime in France. That's what it is. It's solved yeah, crime well, in France. Yeah. So okay. they say, well, like, we'll, I suppose they'll never, unfortunately, well, hopefully we will know, like, but it's, I don't know if I'm watching it, like, I still don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. It's, it's baffling, it's scary, and it's confusing, the whole thing. Yeah, well, the Gardaí don't cover themselves in glory, that's for sure. No, 100%. No. 100%. Okay, okay, good for you. Thanks so much for taking the call. Uh, appreciate welcome. it, Shauna. Lines open, text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, welcome back to uh, uh, the Bailey uh, documentary in a few minutes' time. Hope you're well. Need your advice. Um, this is a killer, actually. I don't know how you get around this. The property management company uh, has issued new parking permits for our apartment complex. However, I cannot get a parking permit as the landlord refuses to pay a substantial payment which he owes to the management company. Anybody been through this? God, that's a killer. So how are you getting, how are you getting around for parking now on the street? You're probably running the risk of getting fines without the parking permit that you are entitled to as a resident. I don't, I don't know what to tell you in that regard. That seems completely bang out of order. You're saying that the landlord refuses to pay a substantial payment which he owes to the management company, so the management company won't issue the new parking permits. But you need them, of course, for on-street or adjacent parking. Anybody been through something like that? Good morning. Could I offer my, offer my uh, tuppence worth to this ongoing problem with regards to people offering services and turning out to be cowboys. Never use anyone who knocks on your door offering a service. Full stop. When you pick one from the Google search or local services, never use one without a landline phone number. Yes, good words of advice, Frank, and there's a lot more advice you could throw into that as to be very careful who you hire from social media. Uh, I've been, and we were talking about hospitality staff and how tough a job it is and the money isn't great and the hours are tough. I've been working as a waitress, bar person, for six years now in the city. I want to say exactly where because I don't want to identify the person, but a new girl started with us three weeks ago, just after the outdoor dining resumed. She's a lovely person, doing good, but I've seen her drink on the job on a couple of occasions. 
it's a big no-no in any job. And I get it. The fact that she is, she does, she's new doesn't make it any better. Uh, I said it to another friend of mine and she said to report her to management. However, it's not that easy. Apparently, she lost her old job she'd been working in for 10 years. She was working in manufacturing and she hasn't had the best of upbringings. I'm afraid if I do report her, then she'll lose her job again and it'll add to her troubles. What do others suggest or has anyone else been in this position? Thank you. Love the show. That's a tough one because it is clearly an absolute no-no to be drinking on the job, regardless of what the job is. I mean, she's in hospitality, so she's surrounded by it. The temptation is there. But it's not on for anybody to be drinking on the job. Those days are well and truly gone where people will go for, say, a couple of pints at lunchtime and stuff like that. Um, I don't know about saying it. This is just me. And I, a lot of the time I'm deemed to be not the greatest with giving advice. But what comes from my heart anyway is I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it to management. I would have a quiet word with her. You know, I'm sure you could work it out to say it in some kind of a way, you know. Listen, I noticed you're having a, a little drink every now and then. You want to be very careful about that because if that's seen, you'll get into an awful lot of trouble. And I'd imagine, I'm just tipping you off, it could lead to uh, instant dismissal. So just be aware of that and, you know, try and try and knock that on the head and see what kind of a reaction you might get told to F off. Um, but then again, you might get, you know, somebody telling you the reasons why she's drinking or she might just say, oh, oh yeah, okay, I didn't, she may say, oh, I, I didn't know, I didn't know. And she then could change. I mean, if she has a problem with alcohol, that's a different matter. But certainly I think the first step would, step would be to have a quiet word with her, I think. Anybody agree or disagree with that and, and see what kind of reaction you get to it and pick it up from there. Anyway, text 0868104106 if you guys have an opinion on that. From last week, we were talking about gastric sleeves and gastric banding. So with regards to, and people traveling overseas to Turkey, 12 grand here, 3 grand in Turkey. On the gastric sleeve, I got mine in January of this year. I got it done in Poland. I documented the truth on the Instagram page, light at the end of my sleeve. I give the ugly truths since the start. I can tell you it isn't all a walk in the park. It's mental torture every day to be headstrong, to walk away from foods, to make good food choices, to sit there with a plate of food in front of you and have to eat it. But you're not hungry. It isn't easy. Of course, people see the weight you've lost and say she looks brilliant, but they don't realize what I go through every day after the gastric sleeve. I will never regret the choice I made because it's given me my life back. The life I lost at such a young age. I'm truly grateful every day that I survived the bad times in my life, all down to the gastric sleeve. But I do have one message to people. Please do your homework on this. It isn't a fast fix. This is life. This is a new lifestyle change. Never let it be your first choice. Never let someone else's journey make your decision. Thanks for reading the message. I wouldn't feel comfortable coming on air, says Emma. I think that's very interesting. She says, it isn't a walk in the park. It's mental torture every day since she got the gastric sleeve um, to be headstrong, to walk away from food, uh, to make good food choices, to sit there with a plate of food in front of you and have to eat it. But you're not hungry. It isn't easy. I mean, the plate of food in front of you must be absolutely tiny. I'm wondering why you wouldn't be hungry and capable of eating the small portion that your stomach would allow you to eat. Maybe you might come back to me on that, Emma. Listening to the girl on the radio talking to Neil about gastric sleeves and it's, uh, and, it's and it's so dangerous. These doctors in Turkey are not surgically trained. That's why it's so cheap there. 
I can't come on air as I'm a nurse specialist in the CUH in this area and I don't want to get into any trouble. We're the ones that see and pick up all of these botched procedures. Thank you for those. All those people talking about tummy tucks, please tell them to go to Keto Gym in Cork. Saying they lose 30 pounds in six weeks. I lost 30 pounds in 12 days with the keto program. Lazy, lazy people. They'll gain, they will gain all they lost again down the line. I don't know how you can put it back on if you've got a tiny, tiny stomach. But other people are also suggesting talking about lazy women looking for excuses. It's their lives, lads. It's their money. I don't know about the safety of it. I mean, the nurse in the CUH says that they pick up some of the botch job, jobs from overseas. Possibly so. Anyway, lives open at one 106 We have a wonderful Weber barbecue to give away, courtesy of Carew's Wood um, Garden Centre and Café down in East Cork, down in Castle Martyr. So we're asking people for their earliest childhood memories. Let's have some fun with this, shall we? Carol, good morning. Morning, Neil. So How are you? I'm good. So they say, at least research says, that you some people can remember back as far as the age of two and a half. What about you? Well, I can remember. Um, I can. My biggest memory was being stood at the table on our kitchen table, and I had this um, knitted. So there was knitted dresses with a little knitted belt in the front of it, um, which was weighing me down at the time because um, I had fallen into the lock. So my mum had taken me out the lock in my push chair and I was kneeling down by Joe the little wall at the edge Yeah, and uh, there was a few young fellas ran past with fishing poles and one of them bumped off me and I went head first into the lock oh my god I was about two and a half oh my god and my poor mother nearly had a heart attack there was a man fishing nearby so he actually just didn't even he just went straight in and pulled me out so I was I was fine but and I, but I hang on remember, a second were you strapped into the push chair no, no, I was out of my push chair. Okay. Um, I was kneeling down. I no, thought I you and the push chair and everything went in. All right, okay. No, no, just me. I was kneeling down by the little rim and the lads ran past and the last fella bumped off me with his fishing pole and my mum said I went head first in. I don't actually remember being in the water. She must have nearly died. Oh, nearly, absolutely, yeah. I'd say she wasn't right for a long time. Now, what I do remember is, um, like, her running, she ran home with me in the buggy. And Soaked. then I was standing on the kitchen table and she was a knitted thing, so that was weighing me down. And it was probably about three sizes bigger than it was originally then because it was all wet. And my lovely sandals and socks. And my oldest sister and her now husband were there and they, they just were laughing. I can just remember them laughing at me. They thought it was hilarious. Because everything was fine then. It wouldn't have been. I suppose they saw the funny side of it because they weren't there. Yeah. You know, they saw the funny side of it. Then with me just standing on the table, dripping wet, and everything had to be taken off. Like we oh have a bath. Oh my god! Do you lot. remember it, or is it is it a story your mum told you? You remember it? No, I can. I actually can remember being stood on the kitchen table with that. It was in a kind of navy and green woolly dress. I remember that part and them laughing at me. I I do remember that bit, but I don't actually remember going into the water. Thank God. And d- 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 is it your mum said that you were two years old? Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, could an early memory like that at two be triggered because it was a traumatic memory? Maybe, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. It wasn't traumatic for me because I don't remember being in the water. I just It was probably tra- more traumatic for my mother. God help us. <laughs> Watching me falling in, you know. God almighty. But, um, and, that, and you were, yeah. defini- you were definitely two, were you? 
yeah, it was about two and a half. Well, yeah, it was two, I'd say. It wasn't even two and a half. Because that's what, that's what they say. They say that uh, now a new study has revealed our earliest childhood memory begins from the age of two and a half. Don't include me in that, in that because I have no recollection whatsoever. Yeah, no, that's, that's that age. about the only thing I remember, but I do remember that very clearly. And it's not because they were telling me I can actually remember me stood on the kitchen I table. And Unless I went into around me and hypnosis or something, we'd be able to go way back, wouldn't we? Maybe, I'd say so, yeah. You might want to. You might want to. <laughs> okay, so it can happen. And you were two years yeah. old. Okay, let's yeah. uh, let's see if anybody can beat Seven that. Seven the in the lock. And t- and tell me, how's the summer going for you so far? Could you do with the uh, Weber Genesis gas grill? Oh, stop! I would love it because I'm after like I did a bit of DIY in my garden, trying to make a little nice uh, chill out corner for myself. But I don't have a barbecue, so oh my that God. would actually be the icing on the cake. You now. need the barbecue. You need a barbecue. I do, because I was painting tiles and making shells with loads of lovely lights. And okay, well, this is a 1,500 euro barbecue, so it's top drawer stuff. Oh, sure, I wouldn't have to use my cooker anymore. All right, well, ha- well, hang, hang in there. key and be out the back the whole time right. barbecuing. Hang in there. It's a long week. We'll see how we get on. Thanks for kicking the ball All off, right. Carol. Cheers. Take care. No bother. Thanks, Neil. All right, Bye. we also have 50 euro Carewswood uh, Garden Centre and Cafe Castle Marta vouchers to give away every day this week. So um, keep sharing. Text 0868104106 and pop down there and visit. I certainly will be going down there for a look around, see what it's all about. People are talking about uh, Carewswood like it's the bee's knees and I'm quite sure that it is. Uh, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back to the phones we go. Dan, Anne, good morning. Dan is standing by. Anne, what do you Hi, know? Good morning. Oh, yeah, it says your age here. Am I allowed to give out your age? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> no problem. Sixty eight years young. Anyway, rewind the clock for me, if you will. Well, I tell you, my biggest memory is when I was four years old. Um, I, my brother, I remember well the night my brother Joe was born at home. We're talking um, uh, 57, 1957. Correct, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he was born the 4th of July, 57. And I remember I was sharing a bed, a double bed with my brother Khan, who was three. And I woke up in the morning, sometime in the night, it was the night, the middle of the night, and I heard the baby crying. And... There it was. I called Dad, and Dad took me out of bed and took me over to meet my new baby brother in the next bedroom. Go away. And you were and what? And I always remember, <laughs> he'd laugh at me if he heard me, because he's white here now, but he had a big head of black, black hair. And I couldn't stop looking at him and crying, looking at him. Why? And rubbing his head. <laughs> Why were you crying? I was so happy to see this new baby, and I didn't oh. know where he came from. <laughs> and and back in the day, many, many babies were born at home, weren't they? They were indeed, yes, they were indeed. And my mom was, um, uh, she had the baby at home and she had the baby before that, Con, my brother, at home as well. And um, but I remember Joe being born, Joe was his name, and I remember I wouldn't go back for, to bed for Dad. And in the morning... Um, I dad was frying sausages and I called him Sassies and I wanted to take Sassies to my new baby brother for his breakfast <laughs> and I went up the stairs and I took up two Sassies and they were for mom dad said they were for mom but I said no they were for my new baby brother Joe <laughs> and I always remember and he laughed he'd never laugh, leave a four year old in charge of a new baby <laughs> <laughs> 
and mom is still alive and she's brilliant. She's 91. And you laugh at this, Neil. You'll just laugh at this. You are her idol. <laughs> Every morning, mom has to listen to you. And then she goes crazy to turn off the, t- the radio, to turn on TV, to watch mass. But then she turns back on you again as soon as mass is over oh, to listen right, to you on the okay, radio at okay. 91. Okay, fair play to her. And where is she down? In, is that down Skibbereen way? Down in Skibbereen in Church Cross in Skibbereen, yes. yes. What's her mum's name? Mary McCarthy. Well, good morning. A very special good morning to Mary McCarthy. I'll allow her, oh, I'll so allow her the special dispensation to watch mass and come back when it's over. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> But my baby brother, and he's now a big, oh my God, a big, tall, tall, tall man with white hair. Lovely story. And then mum had three more babies after Joe. There were six of us in the family. Well, listen, that's a lovely, lovely story. And thanks for sharing it. And also a very special good morning to your mother, Mary. All right. Great show. Great story. Very kind. And I thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye, Anne. Cheers. Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Okay. So that was a four-year-old. And before that, a two and a half-year-old. What have you got for me? Well, it's just, as I said, it was only about one and a half, I'd be honest about it. I was sitting in the middle of the kitchen floor, you know. I couldn't walk at the time. I was too young. But the next thing I remember was at the sink, she was getting the dinner ready. And uh, the next thing I I got up. I stood up, right? I took one or two steps and planked back down again, right? And my mum was after spotting me, like. And she said, come on, she says, get up. Get up, she says to me. And walk. She says, come on, you can do it. And the next thing I I got up and I, I was about maybe six or seven feet to go to where she was at the sink and yeah. I ran towards her and, and, and caught her dress, you know. Yes, I tell you, it was a lovely moment. And there was another incident about the same age. So you remember, the... you remember taking your first steps then? Oh, yeah, I can, yeah. Bizarre. Oh, yeah. And, uh, at the age of one and a half. Yeah, I won't lie in the stores, I won't lie in it. And uh, there was another day, another time, then I was inside in the cot, right? I suppose we're home the same age. And they were having their dinner at the table and my parents, like, in the cot, alongside the table, like, that they were going to feed me there. And the next thing, anyway, I was roaring, and then, and the words were in my brain, I'm hungry, I'm starving, but it, they couldn't come out, I was too young. And I was really roaring and bawling for food, I was starving. This and is then, incredible. And my mum said, well, she said, she said to me, Dad, well, he could, I was roaring so much, she said, he can wait now, you know? And I see my dad looking at me like, and he started to mash some potatoes in the plate anyway, and cabbage and bacon. Well, I, did, did they give <laughs> you cabbage and bacon all chopped up or something? Well, well they wouldn't give me the cabbage and bacon. I was too young, you see, but the mashed potatoes, I seen him putting the milk in the mashed potatoes anyway. I knew very well he was going to feed me. And I'm not joking, it was the nicest bit of food I ever had in my life. Ah, wait a second. Back up a bit. You're telling me that you couldn't speak at one and a half, but you could yes, understand the, the conversation between your mother and father. Yes, and the words were in my brain to come out, but they couldn't come out. I was too young. <laughs> that is the truth. Yeah, but how did you understand what they were saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No problem. That's ex- no problem. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lovely moment. I mean, with my daddy, he, he, I see him looking at me like he, he felt sorry for me. Like in the next day, he put the milk in the potatoes and mashed them up anyway. And, oh, God, it was lovely. <laughs> I didn't have much time for my mum that day I can assure you <laughs> <laughs> great story though really great story ok so you remember taking your first steps then and you remember oh, yeah. you remembered insa- the sensation of hunger as a baby oh yeah inside in the cot I couldn't I wasn't even able to get over the cot I was hanging onto the top of trying to get all over it <laughs> well fair play to you thanks for that Dan I'd say by the time we're finished with this we'll have people who actually do remember and experience being in the room did you want to say something about the mica scandal 
I mean, three years right in the television, the borders, that there's five, now there's four or five counties in the West. Yeah. And their houses are crumbling around them, right? Yeah. And the insurance, the house and homeowners, homeowners insurance won't cover it. The contractors that made the blocks, they are not standing over it either. I noticed up to the government, there's a one and a half billion to cost to do all the houses up. But how many in Cork is after going through the same We don't seem to be, we don't seem to suffer with it, or we didn't, I don't know whether no, the same blocks no, were used, I don't know. There was a roof taken off of one house anyway with a crane and the next day the walls just fell apart. Yeah, they, uh, they want 100% compensation and the work to be put right by the oh, state. And, and, and rightly so, rightly yeah, so, God yeah, rightly yeah, so. Absolutely. Okay, good points, well made. Thanks for that. Very busy. Lines open at one 106 Claire standing by. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I've got a 1,500 euro super deluxe Weber Genesis gas grill and we're being told this is a fantastic state-of-the-art barbecue and we're told that it's going to be an outdoor summer at home. So uh, get creative for me. What have you got? <laughs> so I don't know if you're familiar with County Louth, are you? No. Nice, is it? Right. Uh, well, it's very small. Not a lot of things to do. Um, only lived there for my first few years in this world. Um, but we used to live in this a town called Termin Fecken, which um, it actually is a place. Heard of that, yeah. You can look yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and right beside Termin Fecken, there is a beach and kind of coastline area called Seapoint. And because um, we live right beside there, my parents used to take me for walks every day with the dogs, and it was great fun. And uh, my first memory um, after being kind of uh, helped with some photos over the years uh, was actually peeing in the sand dunes down there at the beach. And, um, yeah, it was <laughs> a great time. You see, that's the problem. A photograph can trigger a memory. And you can convince yeah. yourself then that you do remember it because you see the photograph. Uh-huh. But before that, you see, I remember that um, there were some kind of rock walls there. And I did fall off one and I hit my head. And I did remember that all the time. And kind of over the years, I was able to remember more about the beach. And um, there was this thing there I always thought it was like a crashed pirate ship or something but I think it was just uh, an oil tanker but your uh, imagination running riot I know but kids do yeah and, and yeah. do you recall um, the river bursting or something when you were like three or something like that yeah I do I do yeah um, so again it, it was kind of right down beside Seapoint um, there's a river on the other side of the road for house and um, it did burst when I was I guess probably around three and uh, yeah, it floated the whole house, so um, that was also fun. It was, a, it was quite an interesting week of memories. Or amazing, of memories. amazing. Yeah. But you moved from County Louth at a very young age to Cork, was it? Uh, no, not to Cork. Moved to Clare when I was about five and um, lived there most of my life. Then moved to Limerick for a couple of years and now I'm down in Cork for two years. Happy I days. absolutely love it. Happy and, days. Uh, Happy days. The entertainment you've been giving me for the past year and a half, I guess, now working from home, it's, uh, it's kept me a little bit more sane <laughs> than I would be otherwise. Ah, uh, wait, because I got to... Flattery will get you nowhere. You fancy a barbecue. Are you, any, are you handy with barbecues? Uh, I'm not handy, but I can get handy. Um, I know my my mum uh, has a good one at home, and I used to help her out with that and everything. Well, We've just bought this uh, outdoor tables and chairs from Lidl, myself and my girlfriend. So you're halfway and, uh, there. We, yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't even used the things yet. Well, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Maybe. you in a. I wouldn't mind seeing you in a pinafore. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that, what is it? What is that? Is that what they call, or is it a smock, or is it what is the thing you put on? Over, no, what is the word thing you put on over you to barbecue? Overalls. Uh, 
Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's probably not a pinafore. Apron, scratch that memory from your head, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, no Ross. Worries. Take care. Claire, good morning. Sorry about that. Me and my words. What is a pinafore, incidentally? It's same as an apron, I think, anyway. Thank you very much. It's an apron. You and I, we'll stick together, right? (laughs) Okay. Now, talking about uh, a two-year-old falling into the lock as an earliest memory. Go ahead. You have another similar one. Yeah, my son, he was about two and a half and we went to Fort. I had my nephew with me. My nephew's about a year younger than him. And I brought his little scooter and then they wouldn't let him on his scooter going around the Fort Park. So right. I had to leave the scooter at the gate and of course he was upset like he's only two and a half as you know and I said look man walk mom, and I put you in the buggy then so then I put him in the buggy and I put the other little fella he was walking at that time as well and I turned around there by the monkeys you know the monkeys in Fosha <laughs> absolutely yeah 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 Yeah, and I just left I just turned around and I must let go of the buggy next minute I turned around here with the child head first in the pond in the buggy inside the buggy oh for God's sake I just screamed like I don't know what I don't know what to do and this poor man he was English <laughs> went in and got him in fairness to him he was English I'll never forget it and they gave me his blankets and all in fairness to him <laughs> And I rang my mother, and my mother thought he was dead. <laughs> That's the thing you do, ring ma'am. Yeah. She'd make a right. We were like, don't tell daddy. My dad actually passed away two months ago today. Uh, God rest him. And we we were like, don't tell daddy, because daddy will give out, because he was his, like, he was a father to my own son. Do you know what I mean? He was his father as well. Like, You just can't good. take your eyes off them. She can't. No, I just could not. Oh, my God. And and even he remembers it, like he'd said to me. Remember, you left me fall in the pond. And I was like, that was an accident. Like, <laughs> no, you, so that was your <laughs> fault. I think he thinks I meant it. Like <laughs> That was your own fault. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that was a mistake. And he was like, I know, well, man, mean, but you remember. Very lucky for you and also out the lock that somebody oh, yeah. was close by and went to their rescue. Yeah, oh my God. I, we rang them that night and everything. We just could not thank that family enough. They were just absolutely amazing. Like. Take you a while to recover from something like that, you know? Oh yeah, I, I was very, I did. I took an awful lot of blame. I did. Because, you know. Your yeah, monkeys, your your monkeys acting the monkey with the other monkeys. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. <laughs> no, yeah. gotcha. All yeah, right, keep those keep those memories coming, guys. Thanks for that. Don't be guilty. It's just one of those things. Everything worked out in the end. Text 0868 104 106. I was referring to the McCroom bypass the back end of last week. 2023 is when all that is finished. It's a huge job. John McCroom says you should detour when passing McCroom. Go right outside McCroom. Go over the bridge, past the old mill, take the next right. Yeah, I, I used to do that all of the time before. I'll do it again because he's saying the motorway runs just behind that bypass. It's unbelievable to look at. I might do it again. I actually like driving through McCroom. I love the buzz of it. I, I'm in no particular rush most of the time. And I just like driving through it. And they've done some fabulous work in the middle of McCrew where they put it, they put in all these communal tables and chairs where people can eat. Not from any specific restaurant where, you know, you have to buy the food and eat there. You can just go there and sit down and eat. And it looks fantastic. And McCroom is beautiful at the moment. Uh, and I actually like driving through it. It's, 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 it's a wonderful thing. Um, I often wonder about bypasses though as to, you know, you put a bypass around the likes of McCroom. Does that not choke the business or, you know, does that have a detrimental effect to local business and local commerce? 
when there's a bypass that goes completely. Or maybe it's a case that nobody stops when they're going through it anyway. Anyway, jury's out on that. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Just very quickly, uh, they've now shown me a photograph of a pinafore. Uh, my <laughs> apologies, Ross. The pinafore that I had in mind was not the pinafore that I was thinking of. It was more of an apron type thing. I have now seen what a pinafore looks like and it looks like a dress. So I apologize to Ross. I do not wish to ever see you in a dress. Anyway, we'll pick it up after 11. Um, but we did talk about the new Cork Limerick Road It's the se- and the families. It's the same setup as when the Lee scheme drowned the village of Anahalla in the Gera at Macroom. Uh, families had to leave with a pittance given for their homes and a pittance given for their land and they couldn't afford to buy again. What happened back then was so cruel. Uh, a texter suggests, oh, I see. Now we have we have the old Mallow Road, the new Mallow Road and all the other roads and now they want a new, new Mallow Road. It's absolutely crazy. Somebody else suggesting that regarding the new Limerick motorway, you'll have two roads running parallel more or less, the old Mallow Road and the proposed new motorway. The Navy route, maintaining two roads, will save between one and three minutes journey. And the taxpayers will have to maintain all of these costs, says Linda. And my house also sits on the provo- proposed change to the M20. The local community on Blarney and Whitechurch Church have been devastated by the plans. This is a lovely, peaceful rural area and the thought of a dual carriageway in a field next to us is horrendous, says Karen. If the Limerick motorway becomes the M8 and the M24 route, all traffic leaving Cork City or anywhere on the island will all have to go through Dunkettle. That is just insanity. And just one or two more. When you ask about time saving, it will save about 90 seconds between Blarney and Rathduff at a cost of 150 million euro and the loss of green lands and livelihoods forever. It sounds like a plan from Baldrick in Blackadder and they'll probably get Mr. O'Reilly from Faulty Towers to build it. Back after 11. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Okay, a little bit of housekeeping. Our fifth and final giveaway for Photo Wildlife Park on Friday entitled Mary Toomey and Dunamore to a family pass to head off to Photo Wildlife Park. But we had a little piece of audio of a different aminal every day last week. And this was Friday's. They make two different sounds. That was an ostrich. They make two kinds of noises. The male makes a low, deep noise. I'm not going to explain how, but it's something to do with what they do with their neck. The female, on the other hand, makes a hissing noise with their beaks open. So That's not a hiss. That's a kind of a chirp. So I guess that's a male... I guess that's a male ostrich, right? Anyway, I promised you, I spoke to Suzanne Harrington last week on the air about the do's and don'ts of uh, of dating, particularly when you're online or on the apps, the dating apps, what men should and should never do. Uh, and we had a good laugh with that. And uh, part two of it makes the examiner this morning. So just, I promised that I'd just touch base on what she was saying in part two. Some more advice for you guys, particularly with regards to your photogra- photographs. She says, um, no motorbike gear. Posing by your vroom vroom 850cc covered in Lego coloured leather is one for the blokes and not the ladies. So no bike shots in leather gear. Uh, Same with comedy shots of your recent lads night out involving, uh, say for instance, silly hats and plastic pint glasses. 
The women just ain't interested. They don't care about that kind of thing. You're not doing yourself any favours. She says, worse still is when your main profile pic contains two or three blokes. She was saying this to me on the air on Friday. Which one are you? And I was suggesting maybe put an arrow over your head. That's me, the ugly one. So if there's three in the pick, how are the girls supposed to know which one of them is the hot one? Um, or that you're the hot one? And also, she said, um, no baby pictures, please. She says, there seems to be some kind of ongoing misconception that we want to see your entire family. We don't. Sorry, but no. Including a baby in your profile pic can only mean one of three things. You're, you've recently had a baby with someone. <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious when she says it. You've recently had a baby with someone, so what are you doing on a dating app? You're looking for a nanny and have wandered onto a dating app by accident. <laughs> or you got babies mixed up with puppies. <laughs> Make your choice. To clarify, women like men holding puppies, lads. Women do not like men holding babies. We've had our own babies. We know what they look like. She says also, don't write that you like fun nights out and cozy nights in. Yeah, it kind of sounds boring even saying it, doesn't it? I mean, clearly you like all of that kind of stuff. She says, don't write that you like fun nights out, cozy nights in, or food. Uh, We all eat food. Rain that one in. If you're firing off a profile demanding no time wasters, no drama queens, no gold diggers, no trout pouts, no filters, no fillers, you'll only come across as a bit of a knob. (laughs) Just one or two more tips. But don't, whatever you do, set up a physical coffee date with an actual woman in real life and then turn up looking like a knackered version of your dad before you beamingly disclose how your day job is in digital manipulation. (laughs) She's a funny girl. She's a funny girl. That's part two anyway, for what it's worth. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red. FM. Yeah, and if you are hiring, do do let me know and I'll pass it on. There's a lot hiring in hospitality, at least that's what I can see. If you can mention on your radio show that Supermax on the North Main Street is looking for part-time and full-time staff over the age of 18. I know it's hard for young people to find work, so I thought this might help. Supermax are hiring guys on the North Main Street. Anybody wants uh, to work there. I also heard you mention that uh, there was people looking for work. The High B in Mallow are looking for waiters and waitresses. If that's any help, particularly for the young girl who said she sent out 20 resumes. So the High B in Mallow are hiring. Anybody else with jobs, do get in touch. Text 0868104106. Thank you. People are texting in with their own localised weather because I don't know where the blue sky... Supposed to be blue skies. Uh, John Kieran Barry says, FFS, are you giving out the weather forecast for Marbella or what? It's overcast in Little Island and a wind that would cut right through you. <laughs> I don't know. This ain't supposed to be happening. Neil, the sun is shining here in Saline. And please God, it'll continue for our sixth class drive round graduation ceremony this evening in the National School. So at least they're getting sunshine in Saline. Morning, Neil. Down west. Tis windy and cold, but nice and dry. The sky's half blue and cloudy, but the winds make it cold. And it has an autumn feel about it. Twill get better sometime. Thank you for that. Dull and breezy in Kilmichael, says John. Cloudy with blue skies in Ballygartine down west, which means that the good weather and the blue skies 
And, and that bit of wind is going to blow the cloud away and give us the blue skies and high afternoon temperatures. So we're hopeful of that. Anyway, keep those texts coming and those childhood memories. Uh, text 86 I'd love to have a chat, if I could, please, with Marie Lynch. Marie, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Thank you so much for calling in. And while I know that your late husband, Jim, wasn't a childhood sweetheart, sweetheart, you were very much in love and he passed away. Is it, is it 12 months, 12 months ago this month? Yes, it's 12 months on Saturday. He so, will be my partner, uh, Neil. Of 30 years. My apologies, your yeah. partner of 30 years. Sure, yeah. that's the way yeah. it is. What difference is it? What difference? What difference indeed. And the poor misfortune had motor neuron disease. And this motor is motor neuron, neuron day today, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I just want to make a show awareness of uh, for fundraising, Neil, you know? Yeah. Because they're they don't really get funded from anybody really very very little from HSC or anybody you yeah, know yeah I know and wh- where where did you guys meet oh so we met we met on the night out and you know it clicked from there then so we were happy over the 30 years and, and you know he went through a lot of health problems in between all them 30 years and came through it you know yeah yeah, he yeah. had even pancreatic cancer and everything, and came through that. I think and you met you met on a night out, but and there was a there was a slight age gap between you. But you say that never mattered that seventeen years. Never, never mattered, never mattered because yeah. he was always young at heart, you know. Gosh, your age and is always, only a number. Yeah, always yeah. kept going with us, and we used to do an lot of trips to Spain there and everything. And he loved the holidays, loved you know, loved being around the family here and the grandchildren that were around know, us, you know. I know, and. When did you pick up, or when did he pick up that maybe his motor skills weren't were kind of slipping? What, what were the what were the signs? The signs, the first signs were he was inclined to be tripping. You know, he was inclined to be kind of getting little falls. And um, now I, we were kind of putting it down to arthritis, and we were kind of putting it down to age. But as as time went on, Neil, we knew that something was wrong. You know, and we brought him to specialists and everything and. Eventually, then on um, after Christmas of nineteen of of the year, year nineteen, I uh, made sure that I put him into the bonds for to get checked out. You know, was that before and or after the the Spanish wheelchair episode? Spanish. You were in Spain, apparently. I was he, in Spain. Yeah, we were in Spain on a couple of occasions. And he needed and, a wheelchair um, at some stage. Oh, I, yes, we had a wheelchair a couple of times going to Spain because he felt that he. Couldn't walk too far, you know. I know. And I know, I yeah, know. and he was slowing down a bit. And you know, he said, "Look," he said, "for your benefit and my benefit," he said, "the wheelchair would be perfect for me." So he he was happy out. And when we went to Spain, then he got the scooter outside, and sure, he was flying on that. Gotcha. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but then there was um, a diagnosis at some stage, was there? The diagnosis then when he went into the bonds then in January, and the diagnosis was the twentieth of January last but, year. Um, yeah, of uh, last year, yeah. And he, he lasted till the 26th of June. Six which months. Which was five, five months, five yeah. Five months, five months. Now, he went, he went now from talking to me and, you know, having a bit of crack around the place and eating his dinner to literally not speaking, not able to walk, not able to hold a cup. Everything was done by machine, his breathing, the whole lot. But we kept my home here, Neil, and we nursed my home. Wasn't was it great. very rapid, though? Do you think, clearly he had it for a period of time before you knew? Oh, he definitely had it. He yeah. definitely had it two years. They say it's a thousand-day illness, uh, Neil. Is that what they say, um, a thousand days? 
your toes and days you'll ask for it. And um, you can be very lucky that I know Stephen Hawkins lasted a long time with it. But like the majority of people don't last that long with it. But I suppose I'm grateful in the sense that Jim wasn't diagnosed two or three years before that. And even being a younger man, you know what I mean? Because an awful lot of young people are getting it now. Is that right? It's affecting younger people. Oh, it is an awful lot of young people. I mean, you could you could nearly start from the thirties, you know. Oh my and, God! And yeah, of course, this is um, this is the brain and the spinal cord not talking yes. to each other, and the messages stop re- reaching yes. the muscles, and, and then and the muscles, yeah, and all the muscles then deteriorate, and the, the muscles uh, they all they all get very very weak, you know. Oh and no! Course, and then of course, your walking will go, talking, walking, eating, yes. drinking, and eventually breathing. Oh my! God. I mean, like if I, if I gave you a cup of tea now, right, and I had to put a thickener into the tea. That's not nice. And that's the way Jim was at the end. He had to have everything through a tube, everything through um, a straw. And um, then he got to the stage then that he, he couldn't get the words out of his mouth. So he started to write me on the whiteboard, you know. Very, very sad. Very, very upsetting sad. for both of you. Oh, my yeah. God. But like I had a great family around me here. Nurses were coming out. Absolutely. The motor neuron gave me every gadget under the sun, you know for him and uh, eventually then like of course he deteriorated so bad we said this time last year no he was very very sick and he had was uh, that did that involve a respirator then at that stage yes yes you know he he was on he was on a lot of machines and everything but on the last on we say on the tourist day he died on the friday the 26th on the tourist day uh, he was able to hold my hand and kind of look at me with the sad eyes as if to say, like, you know, I know this is it, Ma. But he went off peacefully then during the night, you know, so I was with him and the family were with him. So we, you know, like, he went off, at the end, he went off so peacefully, I couldn't believe it, you know. Had he come to terms with it? Me? Had he? Oh, he had come to terms with it, he had, because he had two films that he knew that he worked with, funny enough. That had passed away from it years before that. And when he was diagnosed with it, he said to me, Ma, this is the thing that will take me. And we knew it. We knew it that there was no cure for it. And to see, this is why I want to make people aware of it, that the fundraising is very important, Neil, because, you know, they, you know, they need a lot of money. They need a lot of money for equipment to help people, to help people keep the people at home, you know. Like, uh, we had Jim here in the house, and it was great to have him at home, because... Remember, now we had COVID in, in between all this, now we had COVID, you we know? did. You had six months of COVID, yeah. And you had six COVID six for the grieving and everything, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and like we all had to be very careful who was left into the house and everything, you know? So um, it was great to have my home because he felt he felt that he's at home, you know? I know, I know. And, 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 the, and the, the funding is for equipment, but where are they with research or do you know? I, I, well, with research. You call it the 1,000 day illness, as in, is it a death sentence then, is it? It is a death sentence, Neil. I, I, it's an awful thing to say, but it is, you know. It's very, very, very few people that last that long, you know, with it. And um, as I say, like, you deteriorate every day, or there's a deterioration in the person, you know. And it's very sad to see somebody kind of going from a strong man down to not being able to talk walk, you know, even the, the grip, that was the start of it, the grip in the hand, you know, because he was a great man for a shake hands. Yeah. And he 
couldn't get that grip. He could not get that grip. Probably thinking to himself, um, what's wrong with me? Arthritis or something, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And we were kind of putting it down to that, Neil. And you know, like, when we were in Wayne, Spain, like, he, he would be in great farm out there. And we thought with a bit of heat and everything that was doing him good, Help you the know. arthritis, as you thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he started to trip up, then God loves to see that the right leg was inclined to get, I suppose, the muscle was going in it and he couldn't lift it, you know. He's sending the message with the brain, but the, the leg's not reacting, you see. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And um, it's an, I'd say it was an awful feeling for himself, like, to know that what's happening to him, you know. But as I, I say, like you, yeah, you said, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. That's what you said. I wouldn't. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. Is right. And, and honest to God, it's a terrible, terrible disease. And like, there's a lot. Of, you know, it's amazing when I speak to people. It's amazing the people that know people that die from it. That's right. And, at the moment. Yeah, and know? also as as a kind of a by the way, and and it is connected, but slightly off topic. It's one of the reasons why people feel that they should have dignity in their own death and to pick their time themselves of their passing. Some of those yeah. people who choose to end their own lives are motor neuron sufferers because, mm. as you say, it's a death sentence for them. Oh, it yeah. is is definitely. I, I'd be all for that anyway, being honest about it, because he had no quality of life towards the end or anything, you know. And um, Well, as, the, as they say, walk in my shoes, you know. You walk in my shoes, is right, Neil. And like, why, why, why I was on there? No, it's his anniversary. No, it's on Saturday. And what I'm doing, I'm doing a little bit of a fundraising here in the house after mass on on Saturday. We have a mass farm at five o'clock, and uh, we have a fundraising back in the house here. Then, just to try and get money together to give it to them, you know. Gotcha. And how can people yeah. help if they want? Is there there clearly well, is a motor neuron website? I'm sure, isn't there, where people? Oh, can... they are. There's a motor neuron web, website there, and also. Um, you know, I'm here in Clinton and Dublin Hill and now the neighbours know me here as well. So there'd be a lot of people calling to the door with, with money, you know. Yeah. I don't care what they put in there's only two cents or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I don't mind once it all mounts up at the end. Of and the how day, are you, you know? coping? Have your family around you and everything? It's been a horrible yeah, year I, for I'm everybody, fanta- but you... Fantastic. Yeah, there are a fantastic family and friends. Absolutely brilliant, you know. And... Um, they all stayed with us all through the illness, you know, and and at the time, no, Michelle and my son-in-law lived with me here, and they were able to help me along the road because they were out of work with the COVID at the time, you know? know. I'd say you sat and talked a lot. Oh, sure, God loves we did, we yeah, did, and, yeah. and you know, we have fantastic memories, brilliant, brilliant memories, uh, Neil, of all good times, good times all the way along the line, you know? Yeah. He was a man you could never, never, never have a crossword with. God he was almighty. such a kind, kind gentleman, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he never saw any bad in anybody. He was always good, you know, Every everything was good, everything would be all right, Ma, everything is grand, you know, that was his attitude. And will you meet again? We will. <laughs> we will. You're 100%. I've only without him today, you never know what tomorrow brings, and that's the way I look at it yeah. all the time, Neil, you know. Yeah. This is just a temporary parting for you then. At Temporary parting. Isn't that a great way to be? I mean, I, yeah. I just think it's fantastic, you know? Mm. You say that and that's you... what keeps me going. I think he's on my shoulder all the time, pushing me on all the time, you know? Because if I have a sad day, I kind of feel a push. I just say, come on, Murph. That's what he was calling me, Murph, you know? Murph. Said, come on, Murph. How would he call Marie Lynch Murph? Yeah, that, well, that was my maiden name. <laughs> All right, Murph, I love it. Come on now, Murph, put yourself together, is it? Yeah, that 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 would be his attitude. I like, you know, and pick uh, yourself I up. I'll see you day. soon, kind of thing. 
Yes, and uh, I call out to the grave every day, every day since he passed, I've been out to the grave. And I said, I get grave uh, peace out there, you know, and I don't pray. I just have a chat with him and tell him what's happening. Or, you know, the cat had kittens, I'd be telling him, you know. Well, you be t- I was on the air this morning with Prendeville. <laughs> he's not he's not half as bad as they say, you know. <laughs> That'll be today's chat, I suppose. I'd be very proud of you to share such happy memories of your wonderful life together. I know, Neil. I, I really appreciate it. No you know, I I this is why I came on to make awareness of it because I feel like that it needs a people to know about it, you know? Ah, uh, yeah, of course, absolutely. And also, yeah. as a tribute to a wonderful man. Oh, tribute to a wonderful man as right. The wonderful Fantastic. Jim Simmons. Let us all pause and think of him today. Lovely chatting with you, Marie. Thanks okay, for listening. Okay, Neil. Thanks a million for everything. We'll God chat bless. again. Take care. Okay, God bless. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. She's Bye. a lovely, lovely lady. Text 0868104106. Let's pick up on that after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 Okay, I was talking on the air on uh, Friday to Alice, who was absolutely desperate down in the town of McCroom because she couldn't find a HB Feast ice lolly. Managed to secure a box for her in Fairfield stores in Farnry and it prompted calls from other people as well with regards to ice creams and what have you. In fact, they were saying that there was a shortage of some of them. I don't know what it is with me. I've only had one ninety nine so far in 2021 and the only reason for that is because Keith's Cones came out with a whippy van here to the radio station and I got one. This time of the year I'd have half a dozen of them easily consumed. But anyway, so with regards to ice lollies, that prompted a call from John in Northampton. Now, here's an interesting story all on its own because I don't think there's any cork in them or any Irish in him at all. He was just flicking through a radio app and came across the programme, apparently. John, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. Is that right? Were you flicking through the radio app and came upon us, is it? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, 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 I think it was just something to do with some guy that was homeless. Oh, he had an issue going on, and I just sort of went on and listened to it, and it yeah. sounded rather interesting. And then you go on about the price of renting property, which is rather outrageously ridiculous. Um, and just interesting. So you've stuck down in County Court. So you've stuck with yeah. us, but have you ever been here? Closest I've got to you is I had to come across from Pembroke Dock to um, is it Rosslare? Yeah, I was pulling a FedEx trailer for TNT. That was one December when the weather was bad. Normally we go over Hollyhead to Dublin, but on this occasion I had to come across to Rosslare and then drive up to Dublin. And uh, it was most interesting, especially when uh, there's one part of the route, uh, it was actually, the road was flooded. So I had to take a detour, then I worked out I was going the wrong way. So <laughs> then I, looked, I had to pull over, look at this map, and I thought, that road looks all right, I'll take that one. In an Arctic, is it? Yeah, yeah, and this guy was putting some boot, some stuff in his boot in his house. And he sort of looked at me as I went past, like, what's Nurse Lap doing coming past here? But, um, I like to look at the rows and work out, is that big enough for a truck? <laughs> and are you usually right? Yeah, yeah, nine times out of ten, yeah, because there's times you have to ignore the, what they call the twat now. The twat nav. I 100% yeah. agree with you when you call it the twat nav. <laughs> I mean, I, I was in the Lake District following the sat nav. It said turn right. I went straight into the egg. 
So you drive Artex and you texted me last week because of this shortage of ice lollies. And and Brexit has put a spanner in the works. Go on. What's that about? Well, Brexit, because when we were all in the EU, everything went to and fro to Southern Ireland, Northern Ireland, France, wherever. But now we have to confirm with uh, uh, certain... Uh, rules or certain regulations and because ice cream contains a live substance which is milk, dairy uh, it would appear to be they have to produce certificates uh, and uh, the vet has to check all these certificates to say that each batch of ice cream uh, was made from milk from this particular cow so (laughs) what I understand they have to find the certificates for this cow to say that that cow is sufficiently okay to drink its milk and uh, after about uh, after they've loaded the truck you have to wait like several hours for all this paperwork to be gathered and all put into one big thick folder and once you've got that paperwork you can leave and you never had to do this before Brexit all of this certification all this waiting around all this paperwork you just pick it up and fill in the CMR and take it to wherever it went and you had how many tons of Walls ice cream in the behind you in the refrigerated unit? I had around about um, hang on twenty twenty six ton of magnums. <laughs> but unfortunately, your 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 fab lollies they were originally made by lions, and that was first invented in nineteen sixty seven. Twenty six tons of magnums yeah. going to Ireland. No, that was going to Holland. <laughs> All the stuff I would pick up goes to Holland. <laughs> I worked for, worked for a Dutch company and they import um, flowers, um, butter, um, plants, or even like uh, Tesco's. I've delivered um, uh, a complete trailer load of jam and uh, custard donuts. <laughs> to who? Uh, they went to Tesco. They're made in Spain and they were... They were on the trail at minus 24 degrees. Are you ever tempted to have a jam donut or to crack open the back and have a magnum? Nah, all, I, all I'm bothered about, I'll do my job, I'll earn my money. All I do the job for is to earn some money. That's <laughs> it. I mean, I get fed up with these damn you know, thoughts. Thought, we need to do a security check. See if you're carrying knives and guns and God knows what else. And I said, look here, mate. I'm just here to do a job. I couldn't give a stuff about that. <laughs> so... So, Britain leaving the European Union has made it an awful lot more complicated then, right? Well, it has, but then again, I'm also told, like, basically, trade's actually picking up with this Brexit, to be honest. Really? Okay, well, that's yeah, good, because you wouldn't want to see anybody out of work. The amount of trailers that are actually coming into the UK, Immingham, um, Gillingham, Folkestone, and Harwich, just coming in from... Holland. And so you so you listen to us every day and not yeah. to UK radio. I can't be doing a radio one mate, especially that Burke, what is his name? <laughs> uh, him on radio two, the, the Scottish guy that does his uh, pop pop charts or whatever. No, no, it, it's why pay a bit of license for rubbish? Whereas oh my God. you, your station, 
you can listen to the way all about Ireland and yeah, know, but we talk about places in Cork that you know nothing about. You must have yeah, a picture I'm, in your head. You got to come and visit. Yeah, yeah, well, I will. I mean, there's a and there are boats uh, sort of like uh, moored up one of your rivers that's been turned into a hotel that you were on about a while ago. <laughs> you remember no, the? No, not last time I checked. Anyway. But we do have right. we do have some fine hotels on the river that you can stay in. Is there? Yeah. I mean, are you a one man band? Are you in a relationship? Could you come over for a romantic weekend or anything like that? Oh, no, no, I can't afford a woman. That costs too much. <laughs> I can't drive around in nice cars and put up with a woman as well. <laughs> gotcha. All right, but, okay. Uh, Actually, the I've stopped to Cork is uh, Dublin. Ah, that's a long... I know, they're like talking cheese now. Never mind about yeah, Dublin. Yeah. The beauty, the beauty. The Glenview Hotel, I say that. The where? You know, the Glenview Hotel, just outside Dublin. Ah, yeah, but you need to make the journey on side. You know, I was talking with the business last week. This is this is not unconnected. And he was telling me that the cost of containers, you know, the massive containers that come in yeah. overseas on the huge big freighters. He said oh, the yeah. cost of containers has gone from €2,000 $2, a container, euro, I suppose, €2,000, to €15,000 per container. He it says that there is a shortage of them and an awful lot of containers are stuck in the United States because the Yanks won't ship the containers back to China and it's driving the price of everything through the roof. You know, things that are coming into retail, furniture, garden furniture, yeah, yeah, yeah. produce, yeah, yeah. electrical equipment, all of this stuff. 15 grand the cost of a container and 12 months ago it was 2 grand. Jesus Christ. It's unreal. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's loads of containers coming into the UK. Well, well, that's what he's telling me, and and I was saying to him, can you not put the can you not put the price on to the to what you're selling? He said you couldn't put that price on. He said that's why an awful lot of companies are saying delivery in six months time. They're holding yeah. out to see if the cost of container shipping will drop. I mean, it's amazing. Well, that's, true. that's true. It's amazing. Anyway, it's lovely chatting with you, pal. It really and truly yeah, is. Oh yeah, just one other thing. You remember you were on about like you wish you could uh, drink fresh orange. Yeah. Do you remember uh, I uh, I messaged you on Instagram? About well, I was actually looking for fresh, freshly squeezed pomegranate juice. Okay, yeah. And then okay. freshly squeezed cranberry juice, not the stuff full of sugar in the boxes. Well, buy it yourself and squeeze it yourself. <laughs> put it in a put it in one of these um, liquidised things. I know, but there's a lot of work in that. Of course not. You only got to try it in. Press the button. All right, my man. Lovely talking no to you. Look after yeah, yourself, John. To you, Neil. It really yeah, is. Yeah, Cheers. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Lads, we got a new Lord Mayor. The baton has been handed over uh, to Colin Kelleher, Ballancolic Fianna Fáil councillor, selected Lord Mayor on Friday night, and he was doing a walkabout. Apparently, imagine he's already done a walkabout in Ballancolic, and I'm told this morning he was doing a bit of a walkabout in the city, uh, and was in other places, and amongst them. Uh, down at the English market. Anyway, I don't want to keep him too long because he's a busy day ahead. At 35 years old, call him. Morning, Lord Mayor. Good morning, Neil. At 35, you've got to be one of the youngest since McCurtain or McSweeney. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose in, 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 in recent years, definitely. I think uh, besides our two uh, mastered Lord Mayors, as you said, McCurtain and McSweeney, the only uh, previous office holder younger than me was uh, Taoiseach, Michal Martin. Was he? How old was Michal Martin when he was Lord Mayor? 31. Was he that young? 
My God. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, no, look, it's great honour. Um, I suppose, um, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's still sinking in, as you, you mentioned there. I went for a walk about in the market. Um, it was kind of, kind of tradition. Um, and I met uh, uh, Pat from Ocala Seafood, and uh, he forced uh, an oyster down my, my neck this morning. <laughs> down your gullet. I hope you put a bit yeah. of uh, I hope you put a bit of Tabasco on it for you and a squeeze of lemon. Did he? He did. In fairness, so. uh, but I hope I hope that you don't have as curtailed a year as uh, as Lord Mayor Joe Cavanagh did because he had. A, I mean, he made the very best job, but it was a tough year with COVID. Look, um, I suppose first and foremost, I just want to thank the former Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Joe Kavanagh, and the former Lady Mayoress. They um, they brought a, a massive sense of dignity to the office during very testing times, and in particular, uh, they marked the centenary of the burning of Cork, um, which was streamed on Cork City Council's web pages. And um, I just want to commend the former Lord Mayor in that regard. A difficult year, yes, but um, like if anyone that knows uh, Joe personally, he's always smiling. Um, he's, he's an absolute gentleman, and uh, he kept himself busy. Believe you me. And there was a lot of stuff went on in the background. I suppose the typical, you know, um, walkabouts and photo ops. All cancelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but there was a lot of work. Like, in fairness, uh, he will. He chaired the first ever meeting of Cork City Council virtually. So he's going on the history books in relation to that. No, he's an all-round good guy, as you are yourself. So what kind of year ahead have you planned? Uh, Or is there a plan? Do you you just go with the flow or what? (laughs) Um, Look, my main focus will be uh, recovery post-COVID. You know, obviously the the biggest issue facing the nation and the world as well at the moment is COVID, but I do believe we're we're getting to post-COVID, in particular with the vaccination programme as it increases. That being said, um, we now have to, you know, plan that uh, the economic recovery takes place and takes place right. Like we were on the cusp of a massive development in the city in late November 19, you know, uh, late 2019, and then obviously, you know, COVID hit. Yeah. and there's a lot of indigenous businesses that will be returning um, and they need to be incentivised both from central government and from local government here. Well, we hope that the vast majority, if not all of them, come back, but we just don't know how many will. Please, but Please, God. Please, God. Well, look, um, as you said, you mentioned there earlier, I'm I, uh, Balancholic based and from Balancholic. Um, I've noticed a lot of new businesses opening um, over the last number of months, uh, particularly in the old square. There's two brand new businesses there. Yeah. Um, great to see, you know, someone taking a punt uh, chanting their arm and trying to you know, get on with life and that's great to see that, you know, after all the trials and tribulations we've had in relation to COVID that entrepreneurial spirit is still alive and well in Cork um, and what my main focus as Lord Mayor will be to help drive on the economic recovery. And drive on, drive on all of the construction that's planned, whether it's building houses or finishing off the docklands or indeed getting that goddamn um, getting the conference and, and concert centre on the South Main Street I don't know. Will that, I don't even know will that happen. Will people go back to those kind of gigs anymore? But there's a lot on hold, isn't there? There is, but you know, like everything is opening up incrementally. Um, you know, and you can see the UK now are delaying their Freedom Days. They're calling it, and I think we've here in Ireland, in particular in the Republic, we've we've uh, we've taken a cautious approach. Sometimes, you know, people have been you know vexed with, with with the approach that has been taken. But I think in the fullness of history, the approach that the government has taken nationally um, will, will will prove to be the right one. Like there there seem to be um, you know shortening the gap in relation to vaccinations in the UK. Now, because we all know they they they, they pioneered. Uh, you get one shot, and they get as many one shots into arms. Yeah. Um, a colleague of mine, he's a, a nurse, melancholic. Um, 
Alan Bohan, he's, he's working in the Royal London, he's one of the head nurses over there, and he was saying that they're very worried that they jumped the gun in relation to um, getting one jab, so they don't feel, particularly with this Delta variant, that they don't have adequate protection. Yeah, I know. So I, know. No, I, I, like, I, I understand that. I, I have to say, I think City Hall, City Council, and all those involved really got behind the got, got behind the city on this one, and they gave as much as they could, and, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know, maybe there was a, some kind of conscious effort at some stage where they said we really need to help businesses and get people into the city and give the businesses what they need. And the city, I'm sure you noticed this morning, the city's beautiful at the moment, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And look, I've, I've yet to get out to Prince's Street in my capacity as Lord Mayor of the place three nights. Streets, and I look forward to that in the coming weeks. But last Saturday, um, before I was elected, um, I went into town with, with, with the small lad and uh, herself and I took a stroll around and Neil, the buzz around the city was absolutely brilliant. I agree, 100%. So, yeah, yeah. Um, people were out, they were dining, outdoor dining and you know, people were laughing and joking and it was great to see. And I actually, for a moment, had they not known my surroundings, could have, you could have confused it with South France. Like That's right, we just need a bit of sunshine to see the, the city shine itself. So a very proud day for you and the family then today. Congratulations on that. That's fantastic. Did you... Did did you tweet or was it an Instagram post where you said, OK, folks, you all have a half day tomorrow, signed Councillor Cullum Kelleher, Lord Mayor of Cork. Is that fake I or did. is it legit? Is that you? No, that's legitimate. That was me. That was on Friday night after my election and uh, I gave them all a half day on Saturday. Oh, damn it. You're sad. At- <laughs> <laughs> so if there's, if, there's, if there's any people in HR or any bosses that have an issue, they can write to the Lord Mayor's office. Many people miss that. Could you not make it this afternoon for those that missed it on Saturday afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have the power now. You're the first citizen. We keep it under consideration. Oh, all right. I think he dodged a bullet there. Anyway, congratulations, Colm. Lord Mayor of Cork, delighted for you. Thanks for taking the call. August your fans long before. Actually, Seamus Whelan was out this morning uh, because uh, he knew in advance that I'd be talking to the incoming Lord Mayor. I was like chatting with the new incoming Lord Mayor and wish them well. It's just a, it's just a protocol, really, isn't it? Um, but uh, he was out and about asking people if they were Lord Mayor. Um, you know, what would they do if you were, if you were Lord Mayor for a day or a week or a month, whatever the case may be? Uh, what would you do? This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And so Seamus on Patrick Street this morning asking fellow Corkonians what they would change, what they would fix, what they'd implement, what they'd do if they were Lord Mayor in the morning. One of the big issues that I see in Cork at the moment is the level of dereliction of property. Um, I think there should be much more accountability uh, regarding the ownership of properties and, and, and people should be made to maintain them properly and there should be punishment for those who don't uh, because somebody owns these properties that are falling down and there's a real danger I think to the, to the character of the centre of the city if it's allowed to continue. Probably homelessness. That would probably be the first thing because yeah. it's everywhere, you know, and I feel like Cork really is majorly affected by that. So that probably would be the first thing I would do. One thing I know I've snow been in the city for a while, drinking on the streets and around us. And it's a lot of fights. And especially by the marina. Yeah. Especially with COVID and everything, the marina is just. It's packed. unbelievable. It's like a constant going there half the time. That's, that'd be really, really. I don't know, we've two very yeah. different things. We've been here one day. Beautiful we... city. <laughs> I don't think there's much needs to be changed. It's beautiful. Um, I would um, 
certainly do away with the limited traffic on Patrick Street uh, from three o'clock on. I think that's, uh, I don't think it makes sense. And I would certainly try and increase the parking spaces because they've taken away all the parking spaces uh, from Oliver Plunkett Street and all the side streets during the day now because they're closed to traffic, which means it doesn't help business in town. Well, they're cribbing all about them, the outdoor dining lane. Yeah. What can they do? So they're, all, they're closed down for a long time now. I prefer if they left them that way. For the time being, on you. Could you think of one? No, have a clue. Is there too many things to change? Too many things. Too many things. Make the make the mortgage process that bit easier and more accessible for everyone. That's it. What about yourself? Yeah. I no comment. <laughs> Politician <laughs> no, in the making there, look. Ah, the little side streets that are just pedestrian only, they're great. A few more of those. Uh, with the, the canopies and all that. We had, we had food out there last night, so it was really, really good. So a few more of those would be nice, you know. And do you think he's right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. I don't think there's anything really that needs to be put in. I already think shops. it's good enough, yeah. There's loads of nice shops and all. Very impressed with all the shops. Yeah. Loves all the shops. Your wallet isn't impressed though. No, it's not far from it. <laughs> there's too many closed shops. Like yes, it's going downhill. We haven't been, obviously, for a long while because of COVID, but... It's a great shame. It's this used to be such a vibrant end, and um, I think business tax rates and things like that have got a lot to do with it. And do you think it's just Patrick Street is, is, is oh, the issue, no. or is there the um, weather city? No, it's just this bit is such an iconic part of, of Cork that it seems such a shame that they haven't, you know, made more effort to keep these shops open here. It's too early in the morning, I can't think. Too early in the morning. Ask me when the sun goes down what you'd change about Cork if you were Lord Mayor. You can text on that, incidentally, 86 So right through the week, we have 50 euro vouchers for Carewswood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr. They're serving locally, organically sourced artisan food there, and they've got all of your plants. There's a playground there. You can have picnics there. It's on an entire estate. You'll be there for a visitor. You can stay the whole day. Carewswood Cafe Garden Centre down in Castle Martyr. Through the village, hook a right there. Um, as if you're heading for Castle Marta Resort and there's Carewswood for you. And we've got a wonderful 1,500 euro Weber Genesis gas grill barbecue with four powerful burners and you can do pizza in it and roast chicken and all sorts of things. You'll never use the indoor kitchen again. And today, uh, I want you to keep sharing those memories, your first childhood memory. Text 0868104106 on that email if you want. Neil at redfm.ie, earliest childhood memory. And into Friday's draw with a 50 euro voucher, uh, Carol, who remembers falling into the lock when she was just two years old and she'll go through to Friday's draw one step closer to the Weber Genesis gas grill so keep those texts coming text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 1850 104106106 for all other business Neil Prendeville the voice of Cork weekdays 9 to 12 Cork's Red FM